I, I need a new phone number. I need new numbers on the <laughs> on the day. You know? That's real. <laughs> <laughs> I need to know. I'm stopping you right now because this is good. You need to sit this white chair. Yeah. And I'm like, well, you know, at least the people are. And I'm like, I'm not invested in hope. Yeah. I'm not. In, what is hope? What's yeah. hope? What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Lazy millennial, rely on minerals, live like like all you can on the minimal. Doom since the digital boom went literal. We met her now in my room, I'm better now. Spaced out, spaced in clouds, ahead of doubts. Race in my house, how I'm headed out, ahead of things. Quit my job for better things, leave my spot for better springs. Too hopeful, so hopeless. Nah, take that courage from about your chest, bro. They don't want us if we claim we ain't the best, bro. Don't let them shame us into only claiming best dies, best dead. The brain remains arrested. Step back, refocus, take a breath, go. Hi, everybody. Hi. Welcome to another episode of Hood Rat to Head Rap. Hood Rat to Head Rap. That's it. You know what I mean? He's on a time crunch, so he don't know what to do himself. (laughs) (laughs) At the same time, though, you know, we're all on a time crunch. You know what I mean? It's the end of the year. We ready to get this motherfucker kicked 2018 up out. You getting your walking papers 2018. It's time for you to go. But it was actually a beautiful year for the most part. I, it was. I don't know. I'm curious about that. Like what? how we relate to time and relate to years. Like oh, you want a time crunch? I know, but no. Like just mm-hmm. real quick. Like you get how people are like, oh, I want to like, I hate 2018 or I yes. hate 2017 or this year sucked or you know this was a very difficult year or like you know this, everything. It's like all these years have their share of fucked upness. It's yeah. like the condition of the world. Yeah. The condition of the world doesn't change because the season or the year changes. So but you can personally mark it as you wish. Yeah, if it right. was a 2014, I, I mean, I got diagnosed with breast cancer and got married and didn't even feel a thing at the whole damn wedding. So it right. wasn't a great year for me. For you, sitting yes. Sitting in a chemotherapy you know, yes. space. It yes. wasn't fun. Yes. So I wouldn't say... Yay, 2014. So I mm-hmm. feel like if you you feel you have feelings about the year, that's fine. Yeah. But I do wonder what makes it. I, I'm a, I'm nosy, so I'm like, what was shitty about it? Like I want to know what happened. True. When people yeah. say that, I'll be yeah. like, well, what what happened? Yeah. Uh, I mean, this year, I mean, December for me is like the You've year. You've been struggling. December was um, motherfucker was trying us. This was yes. This was a very um, trying and strong and forceful. Uh, of the month, yeah. so it's like everything prior to that, you know, was cool. Mm-hmm. But then when December came, it's like anxiety and all that other ass shit. But yeah. you know what I mean? We are at our year end episode. Now that doesn't mean that we have a chronologically structured podcast, so we don't talk about things based on sort of the the changing of time or based on current events necessarily though we will definitely if you if you are not just joining us you know that we incorporate current events but these are all our ongoing conversations um because the shit never stops and by mm-hmm. the shit i mean 
white supremacist patriarchy to act a decolonizing, as Erica says, is ongoing, it's perpetual, mm-hmm. and it's in action. And so we're constantly reminding ourselves of what we need to do um, to decolonize or, you know, just exploring what that means on an ongoing basis. Even for me, if that means decolonizing what I think is it's hard or difficult about a year of decolonizing that. I need to be buying people gifts and shit because it's December, mm-hmm. you know, and really getting in my getting my understanding that it's all connected to and tied to capitalism that I want to do it. And it's also some altruistic impulse be, that I've been conditioned to have as a black person to give and also mm-hmm. like giving shit. So it's a lot to reconcile, mm-hmm. but I say all that to say, it ain't over with. This is just going to be our last episode of 2018. Of 2018. Mm-hmm. Yes. But before we get into it, if you're just joining us, this is Ebony. He, him pronouns. You know what I mean? From East Oakland. If you don't know, you can't go. I'll be there tomorrow. So definitely don't go. You don't want to do that. <laughs> um, a real nigga's coming back. You oh already know. <laughs> Town business all day. You feel me? Off rip. Um yeah, and I'm also tired, so you might be present to that. Mm-hmm. I'm tired. I actually just had therapy, so I've never recorded a podcast after therapy, so you mm. can see the mark You're difference. lethargic. Super. Yeah. Super. But I'm also on a time crunch because this podcast is going to be long and extremely worth it. It's so worth it's it. It's actually more worth it than it is long. It's you get tr- what I'm saying? <laughs> Clear. Each one. Each one. Goodbye. Each one. And I am Erica. She, they pronouns. And people ask me all the time, like, which one? Like, should I use? Should I use she or should I use they? You can use both. You can use them interchangeably. You could just use they. You could just use she. Those are just my pronouns. Um, what else? I am, you know who I am, sexuality educator, breast cancer survivor, and legendary plant mother. Oh, really? We're going to Oakland tomorrow, and every time I go to Oakland, I've never shared this because I I didn't. Some of the thoughts that I have, and some of the my hobbies, yeah. I don't necessarily talk about because it's just personal to me. Yeah. So I recently just shared me replanting a, pot, a plant, yeah. and people loved it, and people yeah. are now sending me plants, and people are sharing with me their love of plants. But one thing people should know about me is whenever I see plants that I love, I kind of lose my mind a little bit. And Oakland Clear. is a place that has some of the best greenery or the best like yes. plants in it's the named world. Named after I mean, a tree. I mean, is it the oak, oak tree? tree. Yes. I didn't know that. But yeah. everybody, not for the everybody, but for the most part, succulents grow in the freaking wild. Yeah, in Oakland. Then I think that was the first, and they're huge. Mm-hmm. I and, used to break them open just because I didn't have that relationship to plants. Because you could get, you could you could see the sap and all well, that that's, come you out of talking it. about aloe. Or are you talking about any succulent? I'm not getting into that with oh, you because we I don't like borrow it, time. But still, um, so I plan on, don't tell nobody and don't judge me. Do not come for me, so but I'm are. taking clippings. That's what they do. I'm getting me some plants from Oakland. You're just going to go. It's going to like really be bad yeah, for we're environment. Gonna pull over. And it's like, do you know sometimes, I think we've been in cars together, but when I drive for long drives, I just want to pull over on the side of the road and run through fields. You've never done this. I've never done it, but I always express wanting to do it. Okay, we can do that. I love it. Okay. So if we see a field full of succulents or corn or trees, I just want to get You're out gonna of You're going to see a, a field full of 211 cans. What is 211? More liquor cans. Shit, you going to see a field full no, of... I don't want that field. I want plants. Well, 
And we got it all in Oakland. You know, you want some field full of black and mouse and little baggies or something, you can get that too. So, yeah, that's me. Field I, full I, of I really dreams. want a palm, what is it called? Um, Bird of Paradise for our bedroom. Yeah. I really want one. So I might. Uh, you speed me up? Oh, I'm talking too much now? You about really tried it. You go on oh, I'm going on. in. Do y'all want a podcast all about plants? Yeah. I will have a guest. Oh, <laughs> How to decolonize yeah. your life via plants. All right, I'm done. Go ahead. It's your self-care. That's very it important is. to know. It's it something is. that she loses her mind. That's what she's been doing all day. So she not, you know, tired. I'm tired because we have a lot to do. Yeah. We like to cram everything in at the last you minute. You got to clean the house up and all this stuff. We do. But... Before we, you know, do that, and before we introduce you to the podcast, it's so weird because we're recording this after we had already recorded the bulk of our very special podcast. Um, can you tell them a little bit about what it's about it's, and why you came up with it? Yeah, so Ebony is from Oakland, as you know, and he talks about gentrification in a way that I feel like I haven't necessarily heard before um, mm. from the person that's experienced it firsthand. Mm-hmm. And I felt like it was important to have the conversation mm-hmm. about modern day colonization because that's really what it is mm-hmm. and all it is. Um, with the people it that... Is col- it is a continued mm-hmm. iteration of it. With the people mind. that experience it firsthand. Yeah. So that's what the podcast is about. It's about living in communities and, ex- and seeing your community um, vanish essentially and what that feels like and we invited um, Cynthia Malone who is in, an incredible human being look, look. an activist a black queer educator environmental justice advocate huge just a, a brilliant scientist. scientist a brilliant human being a that mad really genius a mad scientist I'm telling you that really combined like Essentially, when we met, we met um, doing activist work and what she was really committed to was talking about how black lives are impacted by the environment. And when highways are are built on top of black communities, that is a direct assault on our bodies. And that's yeah. another way to commit genocide. Yeah. So just you have to li- get you have time. Listen to it in chunks. Get your notepad and paper out. I'm not even kidding. You're going to want to take notes on this and just know that's not sufficient. The conversation. Yeah, so it, we had yeah. so much more to say. And we said it after the motherfucking stop button was pressed so that happens often and and if you make podcasts or you do any multimedia you know the juices began to flow and they don't stop you know so one thing that we didn't talk about just to put it out there is is how inside of gentrification there's also this increased level of amenity in a community that didn't have amenities because there was no impetus or incentive for um, real estate investors or developers to put amenities that people like to enjoy, like a coffee shop or a restaurant. Mm-hmm. There's no, there's little to no opportunities um, for that when it's just a community that's predominantly black and brown, mm-hmm. um, unless we are creating that ourselves. Um, but once white people, and you know, gentrification is a, I would say, the intentional and strategic. Uh, way to get white people to live, move to, or remain in an urban area. So they build all the cute shit and all the the coffee shops and the artisanal chocolate store and yep. the, you know all the other dumb shit. But they we also you know those who are the impacts of gentr- we patronize and we enjoy it and it is a level of amenity and creature comfort that we begin to get used to. 
Um, sometimes you sometimes patronize. Sometimes you no, patronize. No, 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 but yes. sometimes you don't have the ability to patronize yes, it because you, you have don't. been pushed out or you, so far away from those spaces that you can't even get go there. It makes no sense for absolutely. you to ever go there. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And then there are those like me who fall in a liminal space of yes. like, okay, when I first moved back to Oakland, when I left LA in 2013, I didn't have no job. So in order to go look for jobs, I was at cafes. Was I buying much? No, but I bought a coffee and they, for the most part, left me alone. Uh, but that was my daily thing that I did and mm-hmm. that was a space that was created that did not exist when you know I probably would have enjoyed doing it um, when I was a teenager like when I trip out when I see teenagers in New York you know in Manhattan or something like that and they be at cafes doing work and shit I'm like you see white teenagers yes white them. yes you do not me. see black teenagers yes, uh, yes. hanging out at cafes not uh, those not, white teenagers who now live in the neighborhood because their parents have moved yes in. or they, and their parents yes. have moved from the upper east side or Wisconsin mm-hmm. or wherever else and now they want to raise their kid in New York yes Mm-hmm. It's also a different age when I was in school. I was a latchkey kid. My mom mm-hmm. worked. I also had a job at 15. I started working. So it's just, but it's also, you, you have to understand that New York City is one of the most segregated yes. school systems in the country. Yeah, where, so a lot of the black and brown students are also latchkey kids where they yeah. have to go, they go to after school programs. Mm-hmm. I've worked in them yeah. after school. You know yeah. what I mean? So they're not going to the work. cafe, right? Because they can't afford it. Yes. Coffee in New York, it, any cafe, any latte is costing $5 to $6 if not more. Yeah. So how are you going to hang out there? $3. Where? What, at the cart? Where's mm-hmm. a $3 coffee? A three dollar latte? Where? You could get a three dollar latte. Nah, Erica. Yes, you can. Don't they? Tell me one place. Oh, right. right. Uh, um, P, um, it's a tea. It's not a latte. No, Erica. No, Th- that's not the point. It's not the. That point. It's not even the point that I'm, I'm making here. The point that I'm <laughs> making is that you don't. That they're, they're not going to see people who can't afford to sit in these cafes sitting there. True, but mm-hmm. there is also an impulse. For people who are at the impacts of gentrification to begin to enjoy, it's almost like they try to ingratiate you to there being more white people there by saying, look, we put this cool new thing here for all of you to enjoy. But that's not true. Well, it's how things get considered popular. You put white people in the space, right? Oh, but you're also young. And we also talk about that in, inside of this conversation is that gentrification appeals to young people. Yes. So if you were maybe 40, uh-huh. maybe you wouldn't patronize those cafes, right? Yeah. Maybe if you were 50, maybe you wouldn't go either. Yeah. You would keep going to the same old place or maybe you would move away completely. Yeah. But because you're young, you do kind of fall in that yeah. liminal space as well. Just another right. position that you have. Got it. Mm-hmm. So so we didn't really get into the meats and bones of that. What else would you say we didn't necessarily touch on? I forgot now. Um, I think that was it. It's just like, what do you enjoy about it? But it was two hours. So y'all really, we really went in. Yeah. Not only that, it's like, it's so disparate across the country. Yes. And it, it across the region. So we are talking about our experience, me and Cynthia being from, uh, me being from Oakland, Cynthia being from Bushwick and being born and raised in these places and the different changes that we've seen is some of the other connections, the other systems of oppression yeah. that intersect with gentrification that happen in tandem, that happen as a result of gentrification, but are also that have also created the conditions for white land speculators and real estate developers to come in and completely pillage a community for the benefit of a very small group of people. We did touch on black folks saying, oh, but we can gentrify too. We really kind of like debunk that because that's not true. Um, But yeah, get into that. But before 
we want to thank everybody so yes. much um, for everything, for every donation. This podcast is people-sponsored. It's sponsored by us. It's sponsored by you, the people who listen, the people who even maybe you don't listen to the podcast often, but you listen to Erica's stories on Instagram or you, you know, you follow her on social media in some capacity. Whatever the case may be, whether you gave $1, $3, $20, whatever you've given, it is completely the reason why on December whatever the fuck 20th that this podcast has remained and that we've been able to do this monthly on top of managing an entire business on top of working for ourselves on top of you know having teaching (laughs) on top of touring on top of having no machinery or established background this is a completely independent podcast it is people sponsored it's Shirley Chisholm you it's know what I mean? it's unbossed and, unbought. and it's unbought. <laughs> um, so thank you so much to all of y'all. I really mean thank that. You. I appreciate it so much. And I just encourage people to continue to listen. Um, and share it. And share it. Tell a friend what you learned. Go back and listen to some shit. Yeah. Whatever you need to I do. I love when y'all go back and listen. I love that. It's not linear. This podcast is not linear. Nope. That's why I was just saying You can listen to earlier. any episode at any time. At any time. And Erica, do you want to thank our official sponsor? Yes. I want to yeah. thank Pleasure Chess for supporting us and continuing mm-hmm. to support us um, through next year. Uh, Pleasure Chess is a sex toy shop. Uh, you can go to it physically in New York in Chicago and LA, or you could just shop it online. They have really amazing toys, various price ranges. Um, they have some lingerie, lots of kink stuff. Their kink um, section is actually probably the largest I've seen in any sex toy shop. So if you are kinky or interested in kink, I would definitely check out their store. Um, and also the holidays. If you're buying people gifts, they got hella sales. Easy, they have hella sales, and an easy, easy gift is always a sex toy. I mean, self care. You can't return them though, so make sure that the person wants them. No, you can't. <laughs> There's no gift receipt for a sex toy. So also lube, great gift by yes. people lube. You know, you can use lube for lots of things. You can use it on your genitals. You can use it for chub rub. Whatever you need to do. Preferably silicone lube, not water-based lube. But lube, great for all things. Silicone yeah. lube for your chub rub. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. But yeah. water-based lube for silicone toys, correct? Water-based lube yeah. for silicone toys because silicone and silicone don't necessarily like each other and they mend and they destroy the toy. So if you have a silicone toy, do not use a silicone lube. Yes. Use it on your thighs and when you're in the shower. It makes no sense to use water-based lube in the shower because it will run out. All right. That's it. We have the incredible environmental justice human being and my friend here to an activist, just amazing, amazing person who I've known for quite some time. Yes. We, um, like 2016? Yeah. We met each other in BYP 100, which is Black Youth Project. Black Youth Projects? Mm-hmm. Black Youth Projects. Project. One project. One project. One project. Um, 100, <laughs> which is a youth activist group that is all over the country. It's a national um, organization. And we met at the New York chapter. And we really just, you know, hit it off. Cynthia's the shit. And Cynthia would always connect what was happening in the environment 
to, you know, what happens to black people or how they are intrinsically linked. Mm-hmm. Um, it's that you can't talk about environmental justice without talking about the ways in which black folks are directly impacted. And I've always felt that her work is incredibly, it's just genius. You know, you just, you're brilliant. Um, and I love listening to you talk and it's really just an honor to have you here and to hear your thoughts. You're also a native New Yorker. Um, and we, you know, we're talking about gentrification and I think, you know, your work around environmental justice and also your, your roots in New York are just so important to be heard. Um, cause I feel like the conversation of gentrification is always yeah. from a white lens. It's always from, I'm a gentrifier, so I feel bad, but mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'm just going to be over here minding my business, but not from the people who are from the place mm-hmm. yes. and they see their place now changed, mm-hmm. um, or they see their favorite restaurant gone, or they see their favorite mural now being like, mm-hmm. like it's almost like a spectacle, right? Or it's changed or it's been taken down or, mm-hmm. you know, now there's a frame, sh- whatever it is. Like, I think it's important for this, for your voices, the two of you, and I mind too, as mm-hmm. y'all said, to be heard, but especially at the level of like metropolitan city. Mm-hmm. So with all of that being said, welcome to hood rat to head rap, Cynthia. Thank you. Yeah. Would you Thank say you're you. on the hood rat side or like the head rapper? I think I'm. I'm in between. In between. I've had different. It's different stages for both. in my life. Yes. You know. <laughs> They're non-binary. Yeah. 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 In some it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to be here. I Yay. admire both of you individually as humans. I admire your love together. Oh, it's goals, aspirations. Thank you. you. How you both do. operate and move through the world. The lessons that you give Thank so, you. so, 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 so generously to Thank other you. people who Thank may you. or may not deserve it, but y'all do it. Mm. Say that. And the world is better for it. So thank you and thank you for having me. Thank here. you. Thank, thank you. you. That's super sweet. Yeah. I was also, um, I'll add to the pylon of of Cynthia accolades. I was saying what is severely, what I think is severely missing from, you didn't hear this because you was in the room talking to um, Instacart. Why are you telling all my business? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gentrification. Right. Instacart. Instacart. It's a byproduct, which it is. It is. <laughs> um, it is. All of these sort of quasi service, new service industry jobs are a way for the tech industry to sort of say, oh, we're doing job creation. Um, mm-hmm. You're, you know, mitigating some of the effects of having all of these automated, semi-automated businesses mm-hmm. like, you know, Uber and Lyft. Like, we're going to mitigate those effects by giving people all the menial, kind of lowly, low-paying jobs, mm-hmm. entry-level jobs, mm-hmm. um, while we get paid, you know, in the tune of millions, multi-millions of dollars in order to do it. Um but what I did say is that what's important about having Cynthia here is that like Cynthia is totally an authority on environmental justice and on gentrification. But I think a lot of times the conversation about gentrification is always from an overly intellectualized and very mm-hmm. academic yeah. lens. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, talking about statistics and urban planning and all those different things. And the impact that the ways that people are impacted, especially black people, are left out. And I think it's hella cool to have a mm-hmm. a person who does that work and who is on the the system side or the other side and trying to like analyze it and change it can also speak to like it's hella hurtful and is 
really emotionally and mentally mm. taxing and mm-hmm. vexing. So to have both of those perspectives is hella cool. And I think it's really important to lift up black scholarship and to lift up black folks doing hella research work on behalf of our communities because we do exist. It's not just like some weird white person mm-hmm. with a beard and a man bun in Williamsburg. <laughs> oh my God. In something called a lab or an incubator oh, or uh, a combinator or something <laughs> stupid like that. Um, you know, so. Wow. That's, that's the name of the podcast. That's why I'm hella happy to have Cynthia here. You know, Cynthia is my partner. So. Yeah. All day. Thank you. Yeah. Real life friends. Cynthia Real friends. life friends. Cynthia, yes. are y'all gonna rap? Oh my God. We're not gonna rap. Gonna rap. <laughs> <laughs> Ebony also raps, but I've never heard no. him rap. He won't rap for me. I don't understand. I'm not rapping for y'all. No, I'll leave that to my to my family. I have music in my family, but I am not I am not the musician. You are the musician, but we're not. You don't have to do it now. It was on the spot. It was ad (laughs) hoc. You know, you don't have to do it now. We'll see. We'll see. All right. What happens? The spirit might move us. Yes. Yes. Um. But yeah, this episode is about gentrification. Erica, this was Erica's idea, but it's been so was the podcast. So I'm really full of I'm full of good ideas. (laughs) But you know, so one thing all of y'all know that this is the end of the year podcast. We don't really have no end of the year podcast because the shit never ends. Everything that we talk about is happening. They're planning on it continuing. Mm -hmm. You know, system of oppression like they're pretty perpetual if we haven't, you know, already already known and guessed that. Mm -hmm. So we don't have no end of the year podcast. You know what I mean? Like we just gonna continue to have uh, the conversations that we've been having and calling out white people inside those conversations and trying to hold power to account. So and also, Erica, talk about what you said about gentrification being connected to other shit, or you already said that? No, I don't think I said that. But I think, too, like you said, it's overly academic. Mm-hmm. And I said it's completely centered on white people and their feelings about mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. But I also think, well, just anything, even when we talk about racism, we talk about mm-hmm. sexism, we talk about them separately. Yeah. Right? We don't talk about as they intersect. And right. I'm not talking about intersectionality. I'm mm-hmm. just talking about the intersections mm-hmm. of these systems mm-hmm. of oppression mm-hmm. and how they literally support each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and how you can't talk about gentrification without talking about racism, without mm-hmm. talking about the erasure of gender identities, without talking yes. about the erasure of culture, mm-hmm. without yeah. talking about food deserts. Mm-hmm. It all connects. Mm-hmm. And I think we're always talking about things. Okay, now we're going to talk about, right. you know, sex work is work. And yeah. now we're going to talk about, oh, that racist shit that happened at mm-hmm. H&M. And now we're going to talk about, oh, there's no black representation inside of non-binary identities. Like, mm-hmm. it has to be an all-encompassing conversation I think yeah, and, you yeah, know yeah. and I feel like it never the conversations are never really there and maybe that's a function of time or maybe that's a function of people's capacity but I think people want that I think they want to see that we have to be able to talk about these issues mm-hmm. as they relate to other issues because mm-hmm. they're just not yeah yeah it mm-hmm. works for other people benefit it's mm-hmm. like to, if true. I only talk about climate change and I'm the climate change nigga I don't ever have to connect you know, climate change yes. to gentrification yes. or right. regard gentrification as an environmental justice issue as I would climate change or anything that has a deleterious effect on a human life. Yeah. Like I could just be mm-hmm. the climate change nigga and I didn't know nothing else that happened and to anybody. And that's how those climate change niggas actually that's are. How they are. That's, right. Right. Well, that's what academia does yeah. is it creates these artificial 
silos yeah. mm-hmm. where people are not talking about how these things are interacting to create a process. Mm-hmm. And we know that through our lived experience. Right. Yep. Right. That these are intersecting processes that are co-occurring at the same time. Right. And that I hope we get into have a historical trajectory that can yes. be traced yep. from, you know, how we got here in the first place. Yeah. Period. Yeah. Period. Yeah. So let's Genius. just start off. Off the rip. What else needs to be fucking said? You know what I mean? <laughs> Before we even turn, you don't know how we get down. Like, we we had already had the podcast when you was in the room on the phone. Right. That's so we point. don't have to run it back on the tippy town. We have to run it back on the tippy town. You know how we get down. So we'll just start off right out the gate. Well, before we do that, before we go right yeah. out the gate, you have to intro yourself. Yes. Okay. Yes, and your program. Okay. Yes. So I am Cynthia. I use she, her, her pronouns. I am from New York. I consider myself to be a radical scientist. That's what I've been doing for the past decade was environmental sciences, um, as well as an organizer, a disruptor, um, aspiring abolitionist. I don't feel like I can claim that title yet, but it's something I'm hoping to continue to do in my work. Mm. And yeah. Why do you feel like you can't claim that? Um... I'm not out here freeing people from jail, from cages. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's work that I aspire to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm not there yet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Word up. Word I want to get there though. Yeah. Yeah. You shut doing. down the Natural Museum of Natural, History? Yeah. Natural yes. History Museum. Mm. Yes, which was very yes. personal. I mean, speaking about coming from New York, growing up yeah. in New York, young black girl obsessed with the sciences. What yes. part of New York? Uh I moved between uh, Bushwick, Brooklyn, and Richmond Hill, Little Diana, Queens. Cool. And Ridgewood, Queens as well. Cool. Those three spaces were kind of like my my loci. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. Um, But also the L train. I feel like half my life has been on the L train train going back and forth between school. But growing up in New York, um, the museum had a high school program Mm. for young kids interested in science. So I actually Mm -hmm. did that in high school. And was working on like dung beetle stuff. And over the years, even as I went to college, I kept coming back to the museum and then eventually worked there um, managing their programs in the Pacific Islands. So Mm -hmm. I was based in New York, but going out to the Solomon Islands and working with communities there on conservation and understanding, you know, how we could better support them in the work that they do trying to survive and um, deal with climate change. But in that work, <laughs> I didn't realize certain things about the history of the museum mm. until I started to think a little bit more critically about the history of science and the politics of science. Mm. And I learned that the office that I was sitting in was the office of a eugenicist mm. um, who helped to <laughs> forge some critical, actual academic theory. They were hosting eugenics conferences at the museum. Mm-hmm. Um, in New York, in New York at the American Museum of Natural History, mm. um, hosting eugenics conferences and also held Odebenga, who was um, an Mbuti man from the Congo, in the museum in 1907. And, mm. you know, there's been no Odebenga. reparation. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Nothing no like that. Right. Publicly or... No, yeah. yeah nothing, mm-hmm. nothing of no that. No room named in the museum no. after... Yeah. So yeah. we had an action, uh, BYP 100, New York City... Um, alongside and in collaboration with Decolonize This Place on Indigenous Peoples Day to, you know, remind the museum that we watching and they fucked up and shit's got to change. Yeah. 
Um, or Derek Beaton and yeah. what And that's, you know, it's, yeah. It's, yeah. it's those processes, mm-hmm. but it's also the very, you know, visible in terms of yeah. how the museum is separated between natural history yeah. and then peoples. But the only peoples that you see in there are indigenous, oh, wow. <laughs> black and indigenous people of color. Yeah. Wow. I've never been, so I don't, I didn't know that. Yes. All yeah. the exhibits are I thought it was literally natural all history, natural history. Yeah. And those cultures are placed within natural history. So it's literally just replacing zoos, like human zoos that happened in the past. It's the same thing. Sim- I mean, in terms like, of like dioramas of, right. of yeah. people. Yeah, without and actual extremely people racist. Right. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. totally. And then alongside the, the stuffed animals, which, you know, uh, many of them were also stolen and taken. Stuffed like animals? Taxidermy thing? Taxidermy. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. got it. Mm-hmm. When I was growing up in... Um, the suburbs of Maryland, my neighbor across the street, his entire, what well, was the girl, but her dad, the entire basement was all taxidermy. Wow. And I would have dreams. I would have like nightmares about it. Because I, I don't know if I, I don't know, spiritual, call me if you want to, but I'm really connected to the woods and yeah. animals mm. in the woods. And it was a lot of deer and we would see a lot of deer in our backyard and it was a lot of ducks down mm. there too that would like sit on the, Beautiful. you know, the like table. Yeah, on the nigga table. And now, yeah, no, they're, they're, on <laughs> the on the they're on his table. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Mm. So yeah. Yeah. it was a lot. And I just didn't understand it. And my mom was like, it's something white people do. <laughs> that was go. literally the, and my whole explanation for it. Yeah. So that's all it lived for me as. It's like, this is what white people do. Yes. Anytime I go to, you know, some place in the woods, mm-hmm. some cabin or some shit, mm-hmm. it's there and it's always owned by white people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. That's, that's a deliberate process, mm-hmm. partially created by some of these thinkers at the museum. I yeah. think we can trace some of the processes that allow gentrification to happen to scientific racism, which literally place black people as being non-human totally, yes. or less than human and totally. more closely related to non-human primates. Totally. It. It's those and, theories that, you know, allow for fuckery. Right. And I would think too that I correct me if I'm wrong, that natural science comes from, I guess a greater field of like anthropology I'm guessing. They're, I mean, they're connected. They're connected. I'd say that they're separate. Okay, yeah. Natural sciences is like the study of animals, yeah. ecosystems. Got it. And then anthropology is kind of sits alongside it as a study of people. Got it. But in both arenas, yes, they're people both are, racist. you know, yeah. black and indigenous people are dehumanized. Totally. Yes. Totally. In ways that make people money. Yeah. And they wow. still exist and are credited and are valued as disciplines that are accredited and people care about and they look to it as like let me lean on some anthropological study about something like it's not like oh because this is rooted in eugenicism or eugenicist movement Mm -hmm. or this has been used to exploit black and indigenous people we're no longer going to have a natural history museum or we're going to now denounce the anthropology field in the same as pseudoscience or some Mm -hmm. shit in the same ways that um, eugenesis, eugenicism, whatever the hell it's called, mm-hmm. was denounced. This is a baby thought, but I'm thinking about what you said in terms of what is deemed, you know, it's a, a whole field of study, right? Yeah. It becomes, 
this is important inside mm-hmm. of academia mm-hmm. and academia is an institution that upholds like mm-hmm. you need to study this mm-hmm. right we don't mm-hmm. study certain things because they're not deemed important mm-hmm. right or valuable or they're trying to keep us from it but then what we're left with is science and math and social studies those things are important mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and art in English in right language in right English. but art and music is trash mm-hmm. but then I'm thinking about how that also plays a role and where things are placed physically in spaces oh yes so the real estate of the natural history museum Mm -hmm. is right next to central park. Mm -hmm. Like how many tourists want to, everybody that comes Mm -hmm. to New York wants to go to central park. Mm -hmm. So that's really the only way, unless you, I mean, I don't know. I'm not a science person. Not just the real estate, but you know, having the museum there, it's the physical museum and everything that's inside of it. Yeah. But that horrible statue in front of it of Teddy Roosevelt. Oh, they love Teddy Roosevelt. American. And an African man in a savage depiction. Oh, I did not know. Be- this. Like kind of beneath him as he rides a horse. Huge, oh, gigantic statue right disgusting. at the front of the museum. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's creating a spectacle yeah. of this is what you can expect when you come inside. Yeah. yeah. Right. And this is where and, you are. And you would think me living in New York and going past this museum so many times, Every I would have seen that. And what that means. But I have not even. But we would go on school trips there as well. Yeah. Right? Wow. And nobody wow. at the museum is necessarily saying, like, let's take this down. You know, damn. So how many like, people are going to see this, consider, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So, wow. And then I think about something like the Brooklyn Museum, mm-hmm. which has mostly. <laughs> even though they you know hire wow. white curators but where it was founded by black, black, people, black people which i didn't know was it it was it founded was. by black people mm-hmm. so we had a place to put our art yeah right so founded by black people but then cons- and, and it was there for a lot of reasons because a lot of black people are in brooklyn we're in brooklyn mm-hmm. we're coming from harlem to brooklyn to you know be here and create home but i also think about that is even a space like that, how come that doesn't move to Central Park? Mm-hmm. So it can be central, mm-hmm. right? It mm-hmm. still stays in its same spot. Mm-hmm. And then what happens is that we fill it with white people mm-hmm. secretly, mm-hmm. right? You can't see it. It mm-hmm. can't be seen. So I just, I don't know. I think that the like the real, the placement of things is important to also oh, yes. talk about. Is oh, that yes. you get the, imp- Columbia University, academia, it sits in the middle of Harlem, mm-hmm. right? A lot of John Jay College, um, fucking, what is the school called? I'm named LaGuardia. LaGuardia. All of these places, Hunter, they're all very hidden. Mm-hmm. You don't know, you wouldn't know that you were on Hunter's campus if you were mm-hmm. in East Harlem. It's literally mm-hmm. right there. Yeah. Columbia is so vast. And expanding. And expanding. Yeah. And to the, point where, to the point where Columbia students don't even know they're in Harlem. Yep. So it's, I just feel like it's, I don't know, gentrification, it does the placement of things oh, yeah. is intentional, intentional. Yeah. Mm-hmm. and it's also erasure and mm-hmm. it also says this is important mm-hmm. that's not mm-hmm. yes well yeah. not just this or that it's also bodies and that yeah. to me is where yeah. the scientific racism rhetoric comes in because a lot of these narratives of where black and brown people belong or don't belong uses almost like epidemiological epidemiological rhetoric to talk mm. about disease in the city mm-hmm. it's a blight mm. urban blight mm. this area is overrun with mm-hmm. this area is you know diseased with totally it's a condition totally and blackness becomes a condition blackness becomes something that needs to be 
made orderly. Totally. And that to me is is fundamental to the process of gentrification is, yeah. is the creation of order. Yeah. Yes. Oh, it's so In good. Because order. if you push it, if you push it into one spot, mm-hmm. then you can talk about mm-hmm. you can talk about it. You yes. can pathologize it. Yes. Oh wow shit. So and we'll, use science to do it. Yes. Ooh. Are y'all, are y'all, I'm, I'm like, I'm just, I'm, so I don't know, gonna, I just so got that in a whole new way. I know, we kind of, <laughs> yeah. jumped in, we, we jumped, we, jumped, are, like, we went to the top, that's what we always do. <laughs> we do, we do. Oh, we, we talking too loud? No, no, no. Oh. We, we went to the top, but I want to, so my, I have a thing where I really want to like, I have this whole mission in my head of demystifying things that we're told to believe are true that are actually not true mm-hmm. but also like the things that black people are taught about themselves and how like we almost like there's this black people I, I'm just speaking super generally but it's my sense that sometimes I feel like we think we've caused hella shit like despite the existence of slavery like despite widespread gentrification all over the country affecting mostly black and brown people Black people, I don't know if we don't, I don't know if we have it yet, mm. that it is all like, it, it's not just intentional, it's strategic. Mm. It is in tandem with other systems that we could not have possibly had a hand in. I've even heard black people say black people gentrify too. So I've mm-hmm. even Let's heard. Talk about it. Mm-hmm. So my thing is like, one, what the hell is gentrification? You know, we, we talked earlier about like, the you know the different terms zoning and exclusionary zoning mm-hmm. and, and redlining and, and and all of that but like on a on a just a straight up basis what is gentrification why do people say it's a natural normal urban planning process that all urban centers will eventually go through even though research does not actually support it being something natural that always happens without governmental or state sponsored help so i guess we could start there like what the hell is gentrification and why do people get a hella twisted and why do people think black people can gentrify i mean my ex-white wife who was on the lease i wasn't on the lease Mm because my credit wasn't good at the time um, when we moved to Bedsty, moved into this brownstone, clearly had been gentrified. Mm. We were ironically sitting and eating at Peaches. Peaches is like a well-known soul food restaurant in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. And we were there with our other white friend who had just moved to Brooklyn. Mm. And we were taught my my ex had was working in real estate. Mm. So we were sitting there and we were talking about, and I was talking about gentrification. Mm. And I was like, you know, it's really strange that black people are being pushed out of this neighborhood, mm-hmm. right? Like the house where we live, the apartment where we live, that we have a lease, that now the the landlord is now a white person. Mm-hmm. That's strange, don't you think? Mm-hmm. And they both were like, ironically, they both were like, this is the natural way that this goes. This is how this goes. They were literally, and I'm, I'm saying that nicely, mm-hmm. because how they were talking to me was like, Erica, you're stupid. Yes. Like there's nothing wrong with, that black people are being pushed out of this area and that new people are moving in new people. It's always code words for white. Yeah. So, and I just sat there and all, like I literally felt stupid. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's, and we're sitting in the middle, we're sitting in peaches. Yeah. A peaches hot house to be specific. Yeah. But that's, I think it is, it is, it's made to be natural. Mm -hmm. I think that Mm -hmm. it's the, the preservation, Mm -hmm. the active preservation 
of whiteness. Yeah. Yes. Through so good. the control and extraction of black and brown people. Mm. Because gentrification relies on mm-hmm. black culture. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If you wow. think about these spaces, literally, they will paint over a biggie mural in one area to make a new one. And the fetishization of the violence that comes from the conditions of yeah. white supremacy. Yeah. yeah. There was this, um, so I recently moved back to Bushwick, um, which has been horrible because yeah. I'm seeing so many of the places that I have, you know, intimate memories of growing up around mm-hmm. and they're still there. Physically, the building is yeah. still there, mm-hmm. but it's completely different people, mm-hmm. young white people walking past. And I went to go work in this coffee shop once. <laughs> Stupid idea in this area that used to be kind of dangerous. And there's this mural that they put up of a white woman wearing a necklace and holding it. And it said over, over above this person, it said, protect your neck. You had to be kidding. Whoa. So fetishizing <laughs> the violences and the, and, the, and the means and the culture production related to navigating some of that violence to then, you know. Attract to people. Then yeah. Attract That's people. Cool. That's cute. Well, think what's, it's cool. What's the place? Um, Summer Hill on yeah, Franklin the Avenue. <laughs> there oh, was my a, God. Yes. Yeah. Or a botched bullet hole. They may have created that bullet hole. To in order to, I guess, you play to off it. the mm-hmm. deck. So it's a restaurant. It's pretty much in Flatbush, is or Crown no, Heights, that's Crown Heights. whatever. You know, mm-hmm. I'm from East Oakland. Yeah. Through, so <laughs> I'm proud to not know where shit is. I'm really where am, you I'm from? not where a are you from? What's the exact intersection? Where are you from? Yeah, yeah, I can't even tell everybody on my business. So <laughs> they ain't gonna go anyway. I suggest you don't go. <laughs> if you know, if you I told you, if you don't know, you should not sojourn. You should not pilgrimage. Don't. Do it. Don't do that to yourself. Um, but no, like, so Summerhill is in Crown Heights, mm-hmm. and there was a controversy surrounding the restaurant, which is owned by, I believe, a cis white woman or something mm-hmm. like that. And she pretty much, like, defended there's a bullet hole somewhere in the. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't really look like a bullet hole, but maybe it's real, maybe it's not. But she was like, I'm going to keep it because it, like, shows the pride, I guess, of, like, the business and. We're proud to be where we located at and, you know, the hood of, you know, Crown Heights. And and it also has, she sells rosé in 40 bottles. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. 40 ounce. 40 ounce yes. rosé. Brew. Mm-hmm. If yes. y'all, for those who listen that don't know, 40 ounce is a brew. You can't yes. really call it a beer. It's, yeah. <laughs> sure. It's a malt liquor. Malt. Yes, it's a malt. <laughs> so like know. 211. <laughs> If y'all listening it's out just, there, name yeah. some of the um the uh the malt liquors that y'all know. <laughs> oh my 40 god. Forty ounce Saint Eyes. <laughs> oh oh English O E. My ex boyfriend and I we um decided to both drink forties. Uh, for New Year's mm. and that night I texted my dad happy fucking New Year so I actually regret <laughs> ever drinking I never, never drink it again suburban kids suburban my first time kids, having a 40 and I'm never if you come doing it again. he was so pissed at me he never. didn't even respond he was so pissed the next day he was like why would you text me something like that <laughs> wow congratulations New Year he was off that OE he was off that mom that 211 you really from the hood if you know about that 211 and coming to Silver can. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yes. so that that was just one example of it. Whether that's a whether it was a botch bullet hole or not, but I mean, those are like I feel like, and that's another thing too about the conversation with gentrification. That's just like 
those are like the cosmetic mm-hmm. sort of indications. Like mm-hmm. you always see like a mural of some sort or you see a new coffee shop sort of crop up here and there. Um, but I guess my my other thoughts around gentrification are like the, I don't know, just like what, not necessarily what it is, but like what it does. Mm-hmm. Like and what it, what is the intended, um, or sort of consequence or effect for it. Because if it's in strategic, then what is it then supposed to do? Yes, it's supposed to put white people in places where black people once were. It's supposed to create sort of um, a, a kind of like a ability for real estate people to buy land and to buy properties at little to nothing, you know, little to no cost or super devalued mm-hmm. and make like a thousand percent off the profit. Like, I get all of that, but, like, what is the other... Like, what are the other intended effects? Like, even culturally, like, what is it supposed to do? So, I think it's that... Mm. That goes back to that James Baldwin, he said in the 1960s, urban renewal is Negro removal. Mm. Mm. So, it's the extraction Mm. of culture, Mm -hmm. but then the... uh, so I'm thinking about Saheed Vessel and I'm thinking about Eric Garner mm-hmm. and the associated in these spaces statistically as well, increase in 311 calls yeah. mm-hmm. of petty things like noise, graffiti, yeah. selling loose cigarettes. Yeah. And that's where, you know, you have the cultural violence mm-hmm. and you have yes. the physical violence yeah. and the creating a space in an area where white people can mobilize the police to do what they've always intended to do. Right. Which is kill black people. Yep. Yep. So yeah. Yeah. To yes. kill to kill black people. Yes. Yeah. And cage black people. Mm-hmm. And so if, if this is a reality and the reality is very blatantly grim and morbid, so he vessel is was murdered, as was Eric Garner in these these two very gentrified neighborhoods and spaces as a result of that. What is then, and me and Erica talked about this a little bit, like what is then the, and you had like a lot of Instagram conversations with people who kind of scoffed at the idea that black people being displaced is a continued iteration of colonization, like is a continuation of the project of gentrification. Why are people so like just not, just hesitant to be like, gentrification is violent gentrification i don't hear gentrification talked about inside of violence inside Mm -hmm. of even conversations around displacement Mm -hmm. i think people are you know more so think about issues with immigration but they don't under they don't even think about like when folks black and brown people immigrate here like what they're going to be faced with if we if they're coming to a rapidly gentrifying space that does not value black life and that they could at black and brown life and that they could actually be murdered as a result of where they live or that their opportunities for finding housing are going to be hella limited because of their immigration status or because they don't have no money. That's the thing. And also like, what about this idea that, that black people aren't, it's not that people don't think black people are being displaced is that they know it. It's just that I don't feel like, it's associated with violence. No, I mean, how I think, I think the the definition of violence has been gentrified, mm-hmm. yeah, um, yeah. or has been co opted by mm-hmm. white people, mm-hmm. and it's only violent if a white person considers it violent. 
what? Like mm-hmm. we were talking about something yesterday and you were like, no, I mean violence. And I don't remember what we were talking about, but it was, the experience was violent. Yes. It just wasn't physically violent. Yes. Right. And I don't think, as is another aspect of when we talk about systems of oppression, we only talk about it when it becomes physically violent. Yeah. We don't talk about it when it's emotionally violent or spiritually or violent. Or one call, the, you know what I mean? On the, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, or what the mm-hmm. presence, just the presence of police, what that does to black people, how we feel when the presence of police yes. are just around, mm-hmm. right? That is that put that's a lot of stress on our bodies, yeah, right? Or even just the presence of a white person moving into mm-hmm. the community yeah. is a lot of stress mm-hmm. on our bodies. Yeah, as somebody who grew up in predominantly white spaces, it's stressful. Yes, yeah, you know. So I think mm-hmm. that that. It's not inside of those conversations because white people haven't said, oh, yeah, that's violent gentrification. Mm. And I feel and it almost begs the question of like, who controls the conversation around systems of oppression? Yes. Mm. You know, we're having you know, we're doing a racial justice workshop. But unless whiteness has confirmed that Mm. what we're talking about is actually violent, is actually wrong, Mm -hmm. then we can do something about it. But yeah. until then, we have to convince black people and we also have to convince white people that it's violence. And it's yeah. just extra work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I, you know, even when I speak, whenever I speak, I always um, honor the indigenous land where we stand, the stolen mm-hmm. land. And I talk about the black folks have been have been pushed mm-hmm. out right. because there's a conversation there. Black people are indigenous to the where are we, yep. if we're not indigenous to here, yeah, that's what I was where saying, are yeah. we indigenous to? You and where are we time. being dis- That's the thing is like <laughs> if, if gentrification is a, a iteration or a, a product or byproduct of colonization, like mm-hmm. black people don't have no we're in the hinterland. We don't have mm-hmm. no. <laughs> it's no land for black people. Mm-hmm. It's like we're being displaced from what we're being pushed and driven on the outskirts of cities and into suburban mm-hmm. areas or we just in the hood or we don't have nowhere to go or it's like black people are never thought it's it's like the idea that black people isn't human it's like nobody would say well people do say that but mm-hmm. it's nobody's gonna say it so blatantly it's all the other ways that that's being affirmed yeah they don't have to say it anymore they can just mm-hmm. do it you, you have, have nothing and you are nothing suffer, well, mm-hmm. the effects of colonization miss black people somehow mm-hmm. you yes. know it's how people have it it's like mm-hmm. yes. that is a conversation not reserved for black folks it's like y'all being displaced again as a function or byproduct of something y'all must have did y'all credit bag y'all mama yep. had a job yep. you ain't got mm-hmm. no type of generational wealth as a result of you slavery. didn't go to college you didn't go to college you didn't try to do nothing about it mm-hmm. and we we start to inherit these thoughts about ourselves mm-hmm. you know what i mean i think we also lose the spaces where we make meaning of those processes. So I'm thinking about some of the work that I've been doing, looking at the origins of hip hop coming out of the slum clearance programs in the Bronx in Brooklyn and other places and how, you know, like the first DJ Cool Herc, yeah. 1520 Cedric Avenue, it was a recreation room where people started to have these new ways of, of moving through and using music. Mm. And gentrification, we lose those spaces. Yes. Even, you know, doing showtime on the train. They're trying to take showtime yeah. off the train. And yeah. I think that those, you know, cultural productions, artistic productions are really important ways of like how we make meaning of what's happening to us. Yeah. So when we lose those spaces, we're having, we're yeah. making this meaning how do we know, yeah. how do we meet and come together to yes. discuss what's happening? We can't yes. even, I think about even in our organization, 
like like how to find a place to meet can be difficult. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Literally a yes. place to meet to have Literally. the conversation. Literally. Yeah. Where we lose those spaces. So another thing that you we talked about too is like, and I want if you could talk a little bit about like um I want you to talk about your stuff too. Yes. I am, I am. I'm gonna get there, but I'm trying to take people on a journey. Mm-hmm. Because people we but like, we embed your journey. I'm gonna embed my journey, but I do wanna demystify because I'm tired of people saying gentrification is natural. That yes. what Emily excuse me, Lord, I didn't say Emily that. That's okay. I feel uh, <laughs> Not yeah. What your white ex-wife said <laughs> in the kitchen with somebody with another white person. I don't know who that person is. We weren't we're in a restaurant. Restaurant, yes. whatever the case may be, like that is a dominant discourse. That is that is strongly held yes. as something that is normal and natural. And it's just not. And if people know the definition of gentrification, they know what redlining is, then you even in the very definition of itself, it's not it's not something that is supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. And I think there's this normalizing, like we talked about earlier, of shit that I just don't think is normal. Like, I don't think it's normal for motherfuckers to be living in homeless encampments. I don't think, you know, there was somebody who went to the United Nations and appealed to the United Nations and did a whole, like, report about how Oakland and San Francisco, you know, is are treating homeless people with, you know, cruelly and inhumanely. And I'm like... It should be no homeless people. And also, it's been like that my entire life. And where was y'all at? Like, mm-hmm, yeah. it's always been a, 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 so many homeless people and so little resources for homeless people and no type of programs and the existence of tent cities and encampments. And we all just have it that, like, this is just another, it's, a, it's normal. It's normal and natural for somebody to live in a tent city. Oh, here are tent cities. Like... Mm-hmm. You know, it's just it's 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 almost like these things are what it it's just what it is, you know? Mm-hmm. Because I think in a system of capitalism, mm-hmm. those things do yes. need to exist. Yes, yes. they do. That's yes. the thing, right? Like yes. those things do need to exist yeah. in order for your person, yeah. your former person, to yeah. say something like that with such authority. Yes. And yeah. for it to be true. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Those things need to exist. You need to have homeless people in order for totally. people to have the amount of wealth that they have. Totally. Yeah. And not even experience the impacts of gentrification and other things and to just assume that it's normal. Totally. They haven't witnessed yeah. it. Totally. Yeah. They haven't seen it. Yeah. Totally. And to have wow. some pre-gentrification period of what, 2003, where it's <laughs> like, oh, these are just homeless people. It's just a problem with homelessness. Now homelessness is being connected to gentrification. I'm like, how are these things not linked? How, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. how are they just now becoming a part of popular national discourse <laughs> on gentrification that it makes people, it causes people to lose their homes. Mm-hmm. It's not just you get pushed out to yep. nowhere or get pushed out to the suburbs. You literally don't have a place to go. You don't get a job because now all the people mm-hmm. who are creating jobs are white people and they don't want to hire you. I first, when I first moved back from L.A., to Oakland, I went home and uh, we were trying to actually before I went home, it was like my last year, and my mom worked at Olive Garden and she was yeah. trying to find a new job. She don't know how to use the internet, and at this time, it's like idealist.org and indeed, <laughs> and like mm-hmm. all these different things. And Craigslist has helped try to find a job. So we're looking online, I'm doing applications and shit to like Umami Burger and like all these different mm-hmm. restaurants and stuff. Just she kept not, she maybe got an interview. They can't see you. If she go up to the interview, 
didn't get the job, didn't get the job over and over again. I'm like, Mm -hmm. my mom has been a waitress for like 30 years, has been a waitress and a bartender for over 30 years, has a plethora of experience in the past. Recently, an Oakland native, like this is perfect for your business. And it's like, I didn't even think about gentrification in terms of age. Like Mm -hmm. my mom being a black femme over 50 years Mm -hmm. old, Mm -hmm. what new restaurant in downtown Oakland Mm -hmm. wants to hire my mother? Like they, they don't. So, and we learned that pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, We learned that very quickly and then end up getting another job. Like all the jobs that are availed and available to you are owned and operated mostly by white people in Oakland. Mm -hmm. Like the tech industry from the tech industry down to social impact. Like right now, my mother works for an organization called Revolution Foods. Revolution Foods is supposed to be like this healthy, organic, you know, food distributor for schools. Mm. Instead of them eating regular cafeteria food, they eat regular, like, healthy shit, quote unquote. Mm. And like when I graduated and I moved, I lived, I worked at the same job that she did, making $9 an hour. So it's like, and my mom still works there to this day. And it's wow. owned by two white cis women. And they my, they just recently got like an 18 cent wage increase. After, wow. you know, the workers walked out, like the workers went in the unionize. It's a job that hires people who, you know, been in prison before or, you know, it, it hires, you know, black and brown people. But those are the people working the assembly line. Those are the people working in the freezer. Those aren't, those are even the people, those aren't even the people being able to drive the trucks or anything like that. Or be a receiver with the damn, you know, forklift and the shit in the back with the boxes. Like, these are just, I work with somebody who was 66 years old. These companies will hire them with no type of thought around like, wow, this employee that I have is 66 years old, Mm -hmm. you know, and then Mm -hmm. they'll sit on a panel and they'll go to Aspen Institute and they'll say, oh, I have Revolution Foods and, Mm -hmm. you know, we provide organic and healthy foods to schools across the Bay Area. But yet everybody in upper level management positions are white people. And when the workers have petitioned to have their wages increase to match that of a higher minimum wage that California is moving towards, which is $15, they were told, oh, we don't want to talk about it or you only get 18 cents. And this is a company where people will say, oh, this is a social impact company. Gentrification is not that bad. You see all these different social impact enterprises that are able to happen because white people are able to move into urban centers and place jobs there. People really believe that white people create jobs rather than opportunities for them to make a lot more money mm-hmm. for themselves mm-hmm. and call it job creation, mm-hmm. you know? So that's, so that, I don't know where I was going with that. Yeah. So there, there are the two things that are jumping out to yeah. me, like thinking about your mom, that says so much about what that company values right. or what it doesn't value. Yeah. The amount of time that your mom has put into like what she, yeah, she yeah. what she does, yeah. the amount of knowledge that yeah. she has navigating Oakland in that space, yeah. that should be associated with some type of wealth. Some type right? of value. Yes, some, <laughs> some type, type of, of value. Yes. Yes. Through yes. the knowledge mm-hmm. that she has had navigating those spaces yeah. through the amount of time yeah. and in the amount of depth that she's had. Yeah. And for something to be called, and this is the thing, in these spaces, revolution foods, organic foods, healthy foods, vegan foods, and supposedly mm-hmm. this relationship between sustainability and nonviolence and equity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But actively in their practices, that doesn't, happen to translate. you know yeah. translate to especially you know 
black elders yes. <laughs> yeah. moving through these spaces. Absolutely. Right. It's yeah. it's really yeah. it's really hella crazy. But that's that's so that's I guess my 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 mm. next question is well my previous question about like it's hella violent. It feels violent. It strikes me as violent. Like going back to Oakland, you know, is a bittersweet thing. So I guess I'm also curious as to like I no longer live there, so I don't have to necessarily be inundated with messages about how it's changed. So, like, how do you deal with that on a day-to-day basis of, like, damn y'all calling it gentrification, damn the language or the nomenclature behind it. Like, I don't have to call it nothing to know that hella shit is different Mm -hmm. and it does not feel the same. I also just want to interject and say the connection of ageism to this in the sense that when you look at a urban center, everybody is young and everybody is thin for the most part. So you talk about fat phobia inside of that and everybody is is uh, granite well to do. So in some sort Mm -hmm. of like upper to middle class. Yeah. Right. And white, obviously. Mm -hmm. But there's no elders. There are no older people in these communities and this is what I mean for me moving to New York City is like I want to be around older people who've lived here Mm. like in any community I've lived I've always been there's always been an older person that was like either correcting my behavior or holding me because Mm -hmm. I fell Mm. right and they don't I mean we have that in the building we live in but our building is literally people who are just essentially counting down the days until this building is taken over too because we see it it's just this neighborhood hasn't been completely gentrified Mm, but this is the most elders i think i've seen in new york for the nine years that i've been here this is the most in this building Mm. and i this is now my gonna be my 10th year next year and somebody who lives who Mm -hmm. lives here Mm. has lived here for 48 years yeah so they literally create the it's the design is not just for white people it's for young cisgender it's like you want youth you want your you want people to move there people are attracted Mm. the pretty privilege right Mm -hmm. people are attracted to youth so i'm gonna move there because that's the new hip place people talk about detroit that's now the new hip place because white young wealthy people live there ish it ain't hip it ain't that no no but that's black but that's how people start talking people talk about baltimore like that now too like what Mm. as somebody who's from maryland like what are y'all talking about Mm -hmm. like it has never been that so i don't know where this came about but as soon as they start placing them in there that is now the place to be yeah and that's how people access anything under the under the umbrella of capitalism as we talk about but it's but i feel like like you say white privilege needs to go a step further it needs to be called white power it needs to be called something bigger when we talk about proximity to whiteness it also has to be connected to age and size right and ability right you don't see people in wheelchairs you can't even navigate fucking New York City Mm -hmm. in a wheelchair I could barely walk around New York City on chemo. It's also uh, certainly not accessible city at all and they're not going to change it yeah. The young people oh, no. who li- who move here are not interested in New York City being accessible yeah. or doing anything to mm-hmm. make it. The amount of people I see literally bringing strollers up the steps and nobody helping them, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Where mm-hmm. are the gentrifiers when that's happening? Mm-hmm. I just went to Harlem last night and literally I was the person that was helping the the femme bring up the stroller up the stairs. Yeah. No one else was helping. Yeah. And last part too, Eb and I went to the Apollo. Mm. And everybody know. I hope people know. Apollo is a um, is a historic um, landmark, landmark in Harlem. Yeah. 
And, you know, growing up, it was, we watched Showtime, Showtime at the Apollo. Apollo. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's Showtime. Uh, I would sneak and watch it because it came on after my bedtime. Um, and fun fact, I actually performed at Showtime what? at the Apollo. Yeah. You rubbed what? The stump. Yeah. I rubbed the stump. In 2013. It's on YouTube. It's on YouTube. Oh my Search my God. name, Apollo. It's what? freaky. Yeah. So I, that was like a huge, that was wild. That was the first time I sang publicly in a very I, long time. I feel betrayed. I did not know this. Yeah, I, should, I shouldn't have told you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I did get booed off. I will say that. You said they booed. They did boo. The Sandman. The Sandman. People have to understand. When you <laughs> sing around black people, it is a, if the bar is beyond high. Yes. Right? Black true. people naturally can hold the notes. They yeah. can dance. They can do all this stuff. So if you sing, you gotta be able to fucking sing. Okay? Yes. Like, don't yeah. play. You have to Apollo of all So I got booed but I didn't get booed up. Like, Sandman was, like, standing there, like, uh, 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 like, I'm about to come, and then didn't come because it wasn't enough booing. I think I brought enough entourage to make sure. Oh, yeah. Well, we'll post it somewhere. Incredible. But um, we went, so, and the Apollo has, even performing there was wild. It's, like, a memory that doesn't even make sense to me. Mm -hmm. Being in that space is so profound, yeah. Right, even when the first time you come to New York as a, I think as a black person, you want to go to Harlem and just see mm-hmm. the Apollo sign. Yeah, right. It's just it's just so important to Black history. And last night, Ebony and I went um, as a gift from my friend Cynthia mm-hmm. Vero, who is a, a famous singer, um, particularly related to the Color Purple mm-hmm. on Broadway, was singing there with someone named Shoshana Beam. Mm-hmm. Who I have no idea who that is, but I think that she is. You said like Cynthia Arriba is your friend. Vero, yeah, yeah. You yeah. mean it she was my friend. friend. It's all oh, Cynthia. It, oh, my friend, friend gave me gave tickets, the tickets to see Cynthia. Cynthia. Oh, I thought, I thought Cynthia was your friend too. I was like, oh, you no, was Cynthia Vera cool. is my friend in my head, and that came out. <laughs> but she is not my friend in real life. So we it's saw Arriva, her. Arriva. Maybe she will be after this or podcast. Arriva. I think you wrong. No. Really? I thought it was Arriva. It's Arriva. It's Arriva. Cynthia. <laughs> was performing with Shoshana Bean. Now, Cynthia, that's another thing that I mean, we can I don't think that could be connected to gentrification, but why Cynthia Arrivo is singing with anybody else is ridiculous. It's like she was a guest mm-hmm. to this white person who sings Broadway musicals performance to at sing Christmas at, at the, the Apollo. Apollo. Hmm. So I walk up to the Apollo and Ebony and I were like Christmas songs at the Apollo. Cynthia Cynthia Arrivo is not this super popular black singer in the black community right. as far as no, I'm concerned. This no. is not CeCe Winans mm-hmm. or Brandy mm-hmm. or Beyonce. This mm-hmm. is not that. It's Broadway. So mm-hmm. she sings to a particular audience. Mm-hmm. You catch my drift. White. And and black people, but you got to be like in the Broadway world. Anyway, mm-hmm. so I walk up and I'm thinking it's going to be empty. It's also on Monday night, right? Like there's not going to be nobody here. It's literally it's a sea of white people. Wow. I have never, I've been to the Apollo twice now, sang there once and then went there for another event. Never in my life seen one, that many people, in, that many white people in Harlem wow. and two, that many white people in the Apollo. And this white person in front of me was talking to another white person and they were like, have you been here before? And the other white person was like, no, I've never been here. But it wasn't like, isn't it so amazing? Like, I can't believe we're here. And I used to watch Showtime at the Apollo and I got this connection. I'm oh my God. Remember when Michael Jackson sang here or when, you know, the Jackson Five? None of that. 
You know, and I just, I just kind of watched that. I can that, appreciate like, wow. the familiarity. I'm glad that they didn't know. No, I'm glad that they didn't know either, but I'm just present to their bodies in a space right. that they're not present to where they, they are. are. That's true. You know, there's no connection. They're just at a concert hall. Yes. You know, and I'm in there like, yeah, sing, mm. like, yes, please, like, keep going, wave my arms, everything. Yeah. And it just, it feels even out of place the way mm. I'm being. It felt stiff. Yeah. Right? It was, it was incredibly stiff. And it was my stiff. first time, and mm. I was just like, this is, you know, you sometimes you get clued into your niggerness, and I'm just like, <laughs> you know, I'm too, real niggas ain't got no place up here, man. It's just you like should have come to Dipset at the Apollo. I wanted to come to Dipset so bad. <laughs> I'm just like, I needed to be at... Di- Erica was like, it'd be cracking up at yeah, that time. Yeah, cracking. It was so and I'm good. Like, I showed you her I video. I saw when Cynthia was up dip there set, with Dipset. Dipset. What? Out. Like, <laughs> like, I wanted to be up... And I just felt like Ghostface Killer like at the, at the thing. It's like, I really felt like, you know... He, he was. Those, he was like Tony Starks and yeah. shit. Every like, theater. It was like every gay, white, g- white gay cis man ever that loves wow. music theater. And Cutting hella people in line, not being like... It's one thing to not know where you are and not know that you're at the Apollo, but it's another thing to not... Once again, a displacement of black people yes. and black yes. bodies and black culture and black ways of being. Like, you cutting people in line. Like, wow. nigga, I could roll up on you right now and nobody at the Apollo. None of the all blacks personnel would say anything to me about that. Right. Because like, I'm about to crack you right now. And how they would have been if line. they were actually at Broadway or at the Met. Right. Oh, if right. they were at the Met. You... <laughs> and not... the Met as like. There's history there, right? It's right. all these famous people. Mm-hmm. And that's the Apollo for us. And yes. that intergen- yes. intergenerational cultural wealth yeah. that is held within that one institution in that one building. Yeah. yeah. Not being recognized or legible totally. yeah. to these people. Totally. But they're still there. They're still there. And taking up space. Totally. They let the Apollo, whatever powers that be, let this white person who was literally doing blackface in the space but they got oh him my God. the entire time. But she's doing blackface. She's singing yeah, she gospel was, music. She was she doing talking some about, black uh, shit. Uh, what did she now, say? I don't know her like that. And maybe I don't know her like, You know, they sometimes be looking. I don't know what she oh, is. Oh, she might be mixed. I don't I know. I don't uh, know. I don't <laughs> I'm not sure. Cynthia's mixed. I <laughs> <laughs> No, but she was a light, light, light. Like, light and hair. Like, there was no... I don't. I don't want to erase people. Mariah Carey for all. Mariah Carey is also mixed. Yes. And I thought Mariah Carey was Venezuelan. No, what? you said that last <laughs> night. Mixed no, people. You also mixed. Up. Mixed people come I'm in all mixed. different hues. Yes, you I'm are not mixed. Negro. No, my father's <laughs> mother is white. That does not make me mixed. That's a close <laughs> relative, my dear. Your hair is real soft. Okay. <laughs> black people hair coming all shaped. You being anti-black. Black I'm, people coming. Look, I'm getting a sandman on your And mixed is also like this. Just eugenics. Like, I hate that. Let's talk about mixed. Let's talk about. Can we just say like let's talk about mixed. having a white parent, or can we just? I we, just mixed. let's talk about. I never it? know. Uh, can you as a as a yes. mixed representative? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> can you please tell me what exactly am I supposed to say? Because honestly, yeah. if I'm look, I know how you identify. Yeah. But if I'm looking at you in the yeah. street, that person's black. Yeah. But there are some people who are white passing and have a black parent and a white parent, and they don't know where to go. And that's usually where I see the confusion because I have friends who look like me. 
and they are not confused about who they they also right. have a white parent and right. a black parent and they're not confused that they identify as black mm-hmm. because they've been raced as black mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but I feel like folks who've been raced as ambiguous right. they sit in ambigu- yes. ambiguity where yes. they're like I don't know where to go because it's so based on what other people are yes. saying so I would love to hear more about okay mix because that's <laughs> also that is it's a sort of a pivot because that's also a function well, of let's, I mean my mind. positionality is is relevant. Mm-hmm. Right yeah. to, to the conversation, yes, and it's it is. something. Yep. I mean, my position even in New York, growing up poor, was yeah. re- related to my mom being white, and mm-hmm. some of the you know the, the ways that I navigated New York as a poor person was very much connected to my mom being white. So I think it's totally relevant. Mm-hmm. I think you know race is a social construct, yeah. right? Yeah, and positionality says something about how you are positioned in a certain space. Yeah, mm-hmm. mixed to me says nothing about that. Yeah, because you could, like you said, like you could present phenotypically so many different ways and be mixed, right? Versus somebody presenting in a certain way and being of one race, which is not possible either, because everybody has had some degree of genetic mixing. And I can't speak for other spaces, but within black spaces, ambiguity in itself is a form of privilege. Being red as mixed is a certain totally. I was praying that these baby hairs were mixed as a kid. There's, you know, the kind of texture of my hair is a privilege. Being able to navigate spaces and people not knowing what I am as a privilege. I think I learned a lot about that traveling to other places and traveling in the Pacific and people identifying me as oftentimes like the darkest within their colorist caste system. Wow. Yeah. So in the Solomon Islands, people often thought I was from Papua New Guinea. Yeah. Yeah. And would treat me in certain ways. Consistent with that. Yeah. And and when it wasn't legible to me, I was like, what is this? What's happening? Like, I I don't even know it. But that's how I was positioned. It didn't matter how I identified. Yeah. When I was in the cab, people would be like, oh, you're, you're half caste. Ah, people would read me as either like, like being because of like I think wealth markers as mm-hmm. having a white parent or wealthy white parent mm-hmm. and having a Pacific, yeah. Or they would think of me as from Papua New Guinea, and you know, mm-hmm. I would be in the elevator and people would you know expect me to ring the ring the bell, yeah, things like that. But those yeah. things wouldn't necessarily happen to me here. Yes. Mm. There's certain, you know, ways in which I'm treated as a light-skinned person that I see darker-skinned people are not treated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think the conversation, I think I'd I, I prefer to talk about colorism than the, like, I think colorism mm-hmm. is, is like the, like how that, the mechanism of how that happens. Mm-hmm. We need to talk about it more. And yeah. outside of fucking celebrities. Like, yes. totally. let's talk about real people. Let's talk about ourselves. Let's like, talk about like, ourselves. Talk about yes. how, let's have light-skinned people. Have a conversation about privilege. Let's yes. have... Even mixed people. Like, if you feel like you hella one of... You don't have a place or, like, you don't feel like people honor that you're mixed, like... Where is the impulse to want that honor come from? Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. talk about that. Yes, it's your human- a part of your humanity, but like like you said, your positionality. What is your... Like, how mm-hmm. are you going to be related to mm-hmm. phenotypically when people first see you? Mm-hmm. Like, what's going to be... Generally how speaking, mm-hmm. how are you going to be raised? Mm-hmm. And generally speaking, if your race is ambiguous... Like, how are you going to be viewed? Like, how does that intersect with your other identities? Mm-hmm. Like, if you a fat mixed person, mm-hmm. like, what's that going to be? If your mm-hmm. hair ain't hella long or you cut it off and it was hella curly before, like, mm-hmm. how are you now treated? Like, mm-hmm. let's elevate the conversation. This whole, like, 
I was, you know, not rocked with because I was mixed. I just, I don't know. I want to be sensitive to it, especially mixed black people. But it's also like, even on TV, I'm starting to see like a lot of commercials. We talked about that. Oh, yeah. So a lot of commercials commercial with, a white, with a white parent and, and a, a black, black parent. parent. But you ain't going to see no mixed, inter- like a, a Cambodian parent and a black a parent on a, a, a thing or a parent from Jamaica. And then a parent from Trinidad. Like, you're not going to mm-hmm. see, you know, a Korean parent and a Vietnamese parent as the the marker of our new mixed utopia. Like, mm-hmm. people are talking about white. People care about white people when they talk about mixedness. I'm serious. Yeah. It's the thing yeah. a motherfucker wants to be mixed with. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Or mm-hmm. they want some other thing that's not black. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that is the conversation. That is has to be a true elevated conversation around that for mixed people. Mixed people have to start being like pointing this way and yep. not pointing toward you know inside of anti blackness a black person or not being accepted by black people. Like I just I don't know. Black people be accepted. Everybody that be it's our kind of like the too. black nerd <laughs> thing. Like I was a nerd. I was a totally nerd. Like there's totally. no other yeah. alternative black yeah. person. I couldn't have possibly been an alternative black person because I listened to rap music or you know what I mean. Like that that doesn't constitute. You just all it's all binary. You're either, oh, you're you this or that. Yeah. And it homogenized. Mm-hmm. It's like just everybody has a unique experience on this planet. Yeah. And I definitely think there's this way in which like mixed people can. And that, like, that nerd conversation as well, privileging or kind of victimizing your unique experience. You had a unique experience, but like Andre 3000 said, across cultures, darker skinned people suffer the most. Mm -hmm. Like, that's that's a fact. Yeah, that's a fact. fact And it's a a fact and it's a process. It's Mm -hmm. it's related to white supremacy. Mm -hmm. It's related to being. It is white supremacy. Yes. Colorism is white supremacy, and it yes. comes out of that. So yes. to me, you can't have any conversation about the uniqueness of being mixed without it being related to and situated within mm-hmm. the broader project of white supremacy right. where any proximity to whiteness and lighter skin is privileged. Mm-hmm. And it decides where you get to live mm-hmm. and where you don't get to live mm-hmm. and how yeah. long you're going to get to live there if you even get to live there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's, it's the difference between eviction court or not. Like, yeah. You know, it's it, it's very the lines are yes. very are not ambiguous. The lines, mm-hmm. the state lines, the lines that this state draws in our institutions, like these things are not ambiguous. They're written down near in plain language, so much so that we have a constitution that does that cannot, it has not even been amended to protect people against like it protect people against gentrification or being discriminated mm-hmm. against on the basis of the color of their skin and being barred from having a place to live. Mm-hmm. Like having a place to live and having mm-hmm. a shelter and shit is not an inalienable, you know, right. Like it's just it's fucked up. Yeah. It's all hella fucked up. Um and in thinking about that too, like you mentioned earlier that you mm-hmm. felt like you couldn't be a part of this conversation because you were like, you know, I'm not, I'm from the suburbs mm-hmm. and this, that, and the third. But then I also thought about this expansion of the gentrification conversation to one, mm-hmm. what about, not even what about, but it's like, there's this thought that it's just happened now. Like, mm-hmm. gentrification has happened and it's the worst thing to ever, inside of urban planning, happen to black people. There have been no, nothing else no predatory lending practices, no redlining that decided where black people could or could not buy homes and what type of loans they could access to do that. 
like n- all of these things have informed are informed by anti-blackness and by mm-hmm. anti-black racism and they don't just exist in urban centers the mm-hmm. the, the emphasis on the gentrification in urban centers is is also tied to this idea that like when we think of rural or when we think of middle America and all that shit, we thinking of white people. We're not thinking about a black person living in Iowa or living in God forbid, living in Montana, God forbid, <laughs> living in Idaho or some shit like that. If you that, do, like, we love you. If we do, we send you love a y'all. Love. We gonna come get you. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, we got the dude to trans. Come get you and bring you to the <laughs> same to the Atlantic, like the interdomestic. <laughs> mm, we gonna come back and get our people from that shit but that's the thing is like what are the based on locale like what are some of the other things that black people who don't live in urban centers or who have been pushed out to the outskirts Mm. of communities like what do they have to deal with in the midwest what do black people Mm. who live in agrarian cultures or agrarian areas Mm -hmm. what are they contending with on a daily basis and why and how and why is that not connected to issues of displacement? Mm-hmm. Um, because it's a larger. It's not just about black folks living in urban centers. Like number one, how we get there, redlining is responsible for that. White flight is responsible for that. Mm-hmm. Like we're gonna call a place the inner city because black people literally live there. Mm-hmm. They've all been urban. around it's urban there. Because black people live there. They've all been yes. living mm-hmm. there. It's where you get urban radio. Like what? Mm-hmm. Like you just mean black? Like yes. but black mm-hmm. people live in rural and a rural. I hate that word. Live in rural and agrarian areas, and they they are faced with mm. issues and problems that are tantamount and paramount to gentrification as well, and that are also held effective, and that also have to do with access, and that also have to do with access to education and jobs and the ability to buy homes or mm-hmm. not. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So if you could talk to us about like sort of historically, like some of the things that. Th- that people haven't really thought about inside of like black people and locale and location and shit mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Well, when you, when you start talking about black people in rural areas, I don't know a lot. I haven't studied that extensively in the United States, mm-hmm. but I'm thinking of the work of Catherine Flowers. Mm-hmm. Do y'all know her? No. Mm-hmm. She's an incredible um, black woman who does work in Alabama around mm-hmm. sewage treatment. And these facilities and environmental racism Mm. and literally the burden of agricultural production, of waste treatment facilities, all of that. Yeah. Black people and indigenous people are always positioned to face (laughs) the worst impacts of being exposed to environmental racism in rural areas and access to land. Yeah. Yeah. And access to land to farm. Yeah. Yeah. And even in trying to facilitate a resurgence of that. Um, in urban areas being policed as well. I think yeah. recently mm-hmm. in Detroit, um, a man was, a, a white gentrifier, I think, called the police on a black man who was trying to start a garden in Detroit. Mm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Got it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll include Lynch. Yeah. yeah. Got it. And Flint, Michigan, right? I think, yeah. I think that it's, the urban and the rural are always connected. Yeah. If you yeah. think about production practices and and black people as always being um at the other end of that if you think about that even in new york city yeah um i was doing some work kind of understanding how new york came to be the way it came to be 
and looking at the construction of highways in certain areas. And mm-hmm. now we look at, you know, higher rates of asthma in the Bronx. And that's yeah. related to literally the construction of the city yeah. <laughs> being so that black people would have to deal with the negative environmental impacts of mobility mm-hmm. of yeah. people mm-hmm. trying to get around. Um, and that can be traced to plantation dynamics. So I'm going to read yeah. this. I'm going to read this yes, quote yes. to kind of situate. Um, well, I always have to like yes. <laughs> very, very, you know, get the paper together. Um, so this is from a uh, black geographer, um, Catherine McKittrick. I don't know if either of y'all I've heard, heard of her. I heard of her. But she has this this theory of plantation futures as a way to kind of connect plantation geographies in the past to now. And she wrote. Plantation futures as a conceptualization of time space that tracks the plantation toward the prison and the impoverished and destroyed city sectors and consequently brings into sharp focus the ways the plantation is an ongoing locus of anti-black violence and death that can no longer analytically sustain this violence. So the plantation economy Mm. kind of creates these centers of production, these centers of capital. Yes. And black people are always at the periphery of that. Yeah. In in not just in in body, but also in terms of cultural production. Yeah. So reading about plantation futures and thinking about the history of New York had me thinking about these areas um that were called provision grounds. Yeah. And they were areas that were adjacent to plantations in the Americas as well as the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they were areas where people could have gardens and where people would literally bury their dead and bury their yeah. families. It was in these spaces where you can trace, you know, different kinds of music coming together. Mm-hmm. And I started to think about in New York, mm-hmm. um, these spaces from colonial New York City where they had these, you know, fugitive slave laws to track people down and this thing called lantern laws, which basically said if you're a black person out after this certain time, you have to be holding a lantern. Just just different ways to control wow. um, black people. And these provision grounds were often spaces where people would come together. So in New York, it was Catherine Street Market. And this was a place where black people would come together from different parts of the state and sell sell goods. But they would also dance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and people trace like the origins of the breakbeat to some of yeah. the dances that they would do at this market. And so when you think about the reconstruction of the city under Robert Moses, who is this white architect who... Basically, at one point, he was like the head of 12 different commissions, urban planning positions in New York City. He was the New York City Park Commissioner, the chair of the Triborough Bridge and Tunnel Authority, New York State Power Authority, all of these different things that were so influential to building many of the bridges and tunnels that we see throughout New York City today. Yeah. And, you know, moving through, obviously, a very racist mindset in producing Mm -hmm. the city as we know it today and placing, you know, people in certain areas. And out of that, you know, came these areas like parts of the Bronx, like parts of Brooklyn, where people were living outside of the main capitalist centers of production. I would say a form of provision grounds. Yeah. And through these spaces, you know, creating whole musical genres. Right? Whole musical genres <laughs> like hip hop. Yeah. And wow. and you know, eventually the Apollo because we couldn't right. perform anywhere else. Wow. Yeah. These are spaces that produced, I think, you know, intergenerational cultural wealth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think about what 
I don't. This doesn't get to the rural question. It's a bit of a, a no, sidetrack, no, but but it but it kind of does because if this is coming out of essentially like plantation culture, like mm-hmm. that's not something that we associate with um, urban areas. But it also is bringing it's replaced. Up, mm-hmm. It's replaced, but it's also bringing up like the the legacy of slavery in New York, and I don't think people mm-hmm. sometimes put. I actually was new to that, where I was like. Oh, it was black. I did not know that. I didn't know when, until you was working in Wall Street, Erica, mm-hmm. that like, yes. oh, like slaves had been in Wall Street. And you told me about like free black people living in Central Park. And then like, mm-hmm. is it Central Park? Central yes. Park. And then having their whole entire community destroyed. Because what we hear about in Tulsa, Oklahoma, a, a, a rural center, we hear about black people creating whole businesses, creating black Wall Street, what was not called black Wall Street, but, Mm -hmm. you know, creating their own city centers in Oklahoma and having that bond. And then, but we're not necessarily hearing about like in not antiquity, but like in the early 1900s or something like that or whenever it was, I'll check the date and look it up. But black people living in Central Park, having whole homes, having communities, having these places outside of the sites of production, having their own mm-hmm. means of production, their own businesses, mm-hmm. enterprising amongst them. Like yep. people just do not talk about that. Because yeah. what Wall I- Street is built on African burial ground. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And well, people do talk about it, but they're silenced. Mm-hmm. Or it's the not, conversation it's not is controlled, as, is, or it's not inside of the academy. It's not. Oh, this is valued research. Yes. This is something that a motherfucker would care about and would need to know. But it also yeah. speaks to your question of where is the discourse in rural, the R word, rural areas, right? As it relates to gentrification, but we don't regard rural areas as important in academia. Mm-hmm. We're always yes. talking about urban centers. Academia is housed in urban centers. Mm-hmm. The like Ivy League schools are on the Northeast and they're on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. There's not Ivy League schools in the middle. Correct me if I'm wrong. What Ivy League school is in the middle? I don't know none of these schools. Yeah. But either way, there's yeah. not there. Those are not schools that are regarded as this yeah. is the school to go to. You mm-hmm. go to NYU, you go to Harvard, you go to Yale, you go to Brown, you go to UCLA. Yeah, those are on. Well, they, they urban care center, about urban the rural centers. Centers. elsewhere. Not really, but it's like, no, what I'm saying, uh, it's a big school. ass school mm-hmm. people want to go to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I was gonna say they do care about the rural elsewhere, and that's something I experienced moving through mm-hmm. environmental sciences. Mm-hmm. We were all studying you know tropical environments well, to understand you know the intricacies of certain ecosystem processes elsewhere yeah yes. indigenous yeah. communities elsewhere, elsewhere. Yeah. Oh, people totally. who live on the land elsewhere it's always yes. be, it's always outside of the u.s because there's an here. economy associated with that yes, yes. there's money associated yes. there's yeah. capital associated yes. with that yeah. there's land to be had yes mm-hmm. it's also a problem if the problem is absolved here if we're not if we're thinking if we're not thinking about black people in abandoned if we're only thinking about industries abandoning communities in West Virginia and the coal mining industry going away, but we're not thinking about General Motors in Detroit mm-hmm. and in Ohio and those places, General Motors and all these other companies abandoning the industry there and leaving people without millions of people, mostly black folks, without jobs. Like, if we're not talking about it in those ways, then it's like, why? The problem will never go away. Mm-hmm. So let's just take it elsewhere. You know, and solve that there because we're not going to be able to then benefit yep. from there being a lack of industry. We're not going to be able to automate in Detroit. Well, black people just need to pull themselves other pull themselves up by their bootstraps, <laughs> and people in other countries we need to save them. Yes, mm-hmm. that's like that's right. literally the motto of the mm-hmm. Peace Corps. Mm-hmm. Like people mm-hmm. join the Peace Corps because they want to go and help. 
but then they don't think about communities here, yeah. right? That are impoverished or in in pain or in need yeah. in no way. And 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 I'm gonna I don't want to I'm saying in no way because I don't want to say in similar ways as other countries because other countries do they're doing what they need to do. For they got own. it figured yes. out for their own, and yeah. then we go there and we're like, we can do it better, and it's just so misinformed and ridiculous. But you don't yes. have any sort of insight into your own goddamn community because you're so separated. You live in the Upper West Side. Mm. There's people that live in Brooklyn. You've never been to Brooklyn. You've never talked to anybody that lives in Brooklyn. You've never been to the the roti place in Brooklyn. You never stepped foot in there. You never would. But you'll go and you'll save someone in fucking Ethiopia. Yeah. But you won't go and talk to the people in Brooklyn. Because they're able to be an authority in a way that I think they're not able to hear no. unless no. they call the police and use oh, actual it's so physical good. force. It's so good. They do that too. They do become that. The no, but that. But it's always it's always to become the authority. Just like my ex-wife and my friend at the time were doing mm-hmm. was like, you're wrong. True, but they also become authorities in sneaky ass, like innocuous seeming ways. Yeah, like, like landlords. La- landlord. <laughs> that ain't innocuous. That's very blatant. But I'm no, talking but about sneaky. Oh, let me, you know, hire a whole bunch of black and brown people to work at my restaurant. Yeah, like, non like, You know, let me non-profit. have, let me, you know what I mean? Like, let, let me, me open, start the nonprofit. But let me open this cafe and put all the black and brown people in the kitchen and mm-hmm. have all the white queer people forward facing at the front register. Where do black people at the, the gentrified um, restaurants or the gentrified coffee shops? They're always in the kitchen. Latinx mm-hmm. people always in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. The weird, quirky, smelly white yep. person is at the front. Yep. Always with the mm-hmm. necklaces. I'm sorry, but they're mm-hmm. still smelly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's the but that's the gag though. Or it'll be like the nonprofit thing where it's like uh, totally. Oakland is Oakland is inundated Talk with nonprofits. It. Oakland, it's no surprise that the tech industry was able to ingratiate itself and establish itself so quickly in the Bay Area like all of these executive directors get money from these larger tech mm-hmm. corporations mm-hmm. in the Bay Area to mm-hmm. these all these they donations it is such a the philanthropy is corporate philanthropy mm-hmm. is social impact capitalism it is a whole big ass business in the Bay Area and I don't think it's any coincidence that gentrification is so horrible in the areas where there are the most mm. nonprofits in Oakland, in Berkeley, in San Francisco. Mm. Hella long established nonprofits taking money and taking investment from tech companies that whose workers are these white people coming from all these different places and displacing people because they want to live close to their job. Mm. And who who is right outside of the nonprofit? Who's right outside of it? Oh. Homeless people. Yes, that's true. Mm-hmm. I'll get literally, ten, out the building. Li- like literally yeah. in mm-hmm. ten cities. But yeah. you got a nonprofit. But there's people literally. And that's right how outside. they become authorities. Wow. It's like I give my money. Mm-hmm. So now yeah. I'm an authority. Mm-hmm. I give my money Dominate. or Dominate. you know, oh, I listen to oh yeah, I listen to um Wu Tang Protect Your Neck. Like oh, no. oh yeah, like I live in Bushwick now and Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm at all the rap oh, shows. Oh, I lived there. And, I lived in Oakland. Mm-hmm. I li- white people all the time. Oh, I used to live in Oakland. I love Oakland. I'd be saying to myself, "Stop coming." But it yeah. becomes a form of it? social capital. It yes. does. It, another another form of authority. Okay. 
another fl- I know mm-hmm. what the experience is like. Yep. It's, yes. you might as, we've already told you you can't say that. Mm-hmm. So now what you say is, I've lived in Brooklyn. Yep. Mm-hmm. I used to live in Bushwick. I used mm-hmm. to have 80 roommates. Mm-hmm. I know what it's like. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I saw that restaurant go too. I mm-hmm. missed that restaurant. Yep. Oh yeah, I got a million plants in mm-hmm. my apartment. Get out of here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, get out. Yep. It's a thing. Have we addressed black people gentrifying or did you just mention it? Uh, mm. we can t- I mean, that's... Mm-hmm. Cynthia, what are your thoughts on that? I'm really interested. Like, it's really, mm. to me, not a thing. But uh, I do think... It's a small... Con- I don't know if it's popular. I don't think a lot of people think that. But I've been in personal conversation with black folks who were like, well, we could gentrify. And I'm like, where else was you going to go? You're <laughs> fleeing something else. Some other form of subsug- subjugation somewhere else. You're coming somewhere likely to get a job because there right. may not have been one where you are. Mm-hmm. I can't speak to other places outside of New York. In you terms are, of yeah, what do you the think processes of gentrification. Yeah. But looking at how it happens in New York City, I think that the ways, like the things, how they're making these businesses, it's not it's not, they're not even advertising towards nope. young, black, wealthy nope. people that might have the means. Totally. They're advertising to Midwestern young white people totally. who like slow food, who like vegan food, who yeah. like this certain aesthetic of everything homemade. Who understand and can navigate white supremacy culture. Who can, mm-hmm. uh, yes, mm-hmm. and who will benefit ultimately from mm-hmm. white supremacist culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, also, you know, the police can't tell the difference between your uh, incoming black wealthy person and or me uh, right yeah i mean well i mean we can talk about i think that there are levels in terms of you know people who are navigating as black trans people people are navigating as black homeless people and people who are at different levels of marginalization that makes them more proximate to police violence and homelessness yeah and things like that but I, i i don't know i wouldn't i think that if anything, there's a conversation about class and capitalism that mm-hmm. we need to have. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say that black people can ultimately benefit from gentrification. We're not owning property. We're not right. we're not controlling we any means of production. I right. mean, yeah. buy, I've met black developers who are working for white. I literally was one of my jobs in Oakland that I worked at before I moved literally had white developers come in. They were going to create in downtown Oakland. Uber was going to move to downtown Oakland. Um, mm. and open up a new site there, but they ultimately didn't do it. But pretty much, it was like, they used the black developers as the face to get the community like comfortable mm. with them moving there. Mm. Even though the community was like, that's whack, we actually don't want them to be there. Mm. Or they need to provide a shitload of subsidies in order to, you know, help stop off the effects of having their presence in that place and all the businesses are gonna leave mm. or not gonna be able to survive because of the the property values going up Mm -hmm. as a result of uber being there and they literally had the black developers forward facing so that people could so but it's like two black developers maybe one or i mean it's not to the level to where it can it's a systemic charge Mm -hmm. where in every gentrified city you could possibly think of you see a shitload of black people moving in your building right i wish that was the case but the thing is you can't I don't think you can say that black people gentrify. If you you don't if you say black people gentrify, then you are not considering or you are unaware of how incredibly racist real estate is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, like I mean, I mm-hmm. come from a like an upper middle class family, and even I have mm-hmm. a hard time get 
getting a place as soon as I walk into a broker's office. Racism yeah. is like They are immediately <laughs> like, what's your credit score? Do you have a guarantor? Can you, what's your, your $50,000 amount of money you got saved in your bank account? Do you have that? Yes. Like there is, it's not, you can't say that we gentr, I don't get places in the same, mm-hmm. at the same rate mm-hmm. that they would. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. The assumption is that white people just have it. The, the assumption is not that we do. Yeah. They're not lo- seeing me and like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. she comes from this background. Mm-hmm. She mm-hmm. certainly mm-hmm. has it. Right. Nah, I it's hard for me. And I think it's also important to, to talk about just the, the sheer numbers. For example, in the Bay Area, mm-hmm. low income in the Bay Area is a, as of May 2018 is $117,000. That is considered low income in the (laughs) Bay Area. And wow. anything below, like seventy three, <laughs> is like poverty line. Oh my god, seventy three thousand wow. dollars a year. I am like is wow. considered poverty line. That is the reality. Wow. So it's like, yes, I get how people are like, oh, there's rich black people or wealthy black people. It's like, okay, but the, let's talk about the condition of gentrification. Right. It is to not only have white people live in an area and benefit from the amenities of that area and the culture of that area, but it is also to stop black people. Who from having social services? Like if the income level, if, if low income is one hundred seventeen thousand, you have white people working in the tech sector who are now competing for those low income housing subsidies yes. that yes. they can now qualify for. Yes, and they're probably not also supporting their whole family. That's another yeah. thing as yeah. well. Because one person think about intergenerational oh, wealth, no. you might have somebody it's who... It's just them living in the exactly. apartment. Exactly. Right. They don't have to send money home. Mm-hmm. It, but that's the... And that's... A, it's just the new... It's the normal. It's like, oh yeah, the low income in the Bay Area is $117,000. Wow. Yeah. But they don't like, consider anything else. It's just like, whoa. They're not going to be like, we're all the black people that's making $117,000. Nobody's asking Come that question. Like... Nobody's asking that question. Well, and in New York, they're literally using Mm -hmm. those income levels to structure some of the basic amenities for poor people. Now, affordable housing, the minimum, I don't even understand how this works, but the minimum income for some of them is $75,000. So you need to make $75,000 in order to apply for affordable housing. That's the minimum. I don't even know how that that is how you have it, but that's how it is. Yeah. Wow. So where are people? I think this. Where are people going? Where are people right. going? Where are, people where are going? gentrifying next? My other question too, because I do want to put the focus on white people in some sense. Um, just because I feel like it's always like a conversation about like, well, rather the conversation should be, in my opinion, I had a thought. Why don't white people move to West Virginia or places that aren't hella popping, yeah. but have other white people mm-hmm. who have socioeconomic and financial need mm-hmm. to have businesses there in the same ways that people use the argument, well, white people come in and create businesses. So why Google, why won't you just move to West Virginia? <laughs> Amazon. Take up the Amazon, go to West Virginia. You can take up the whole state. Is that small? <laughs> you can have your whole, it can be called Amazon. <laughs> You can change the name. You can change the name of West Virginia just like you want to change the name of Harlem. Some actually in a bid to get Amazon to come here. They're going to change their name. I think it was Kansas or somewhere. It was like Amazon, Kansas or some shit. What? Well, that's a whole nother story because you know Amazon is coming to Queens. They're coming to New York. And that's a huge issue and that's a huge problem. But why don't white people, from an environmental justice standpoint, why don't white people just move (laughs) to these different little places like that? I don't know about environmental justice. Maybe not that element of that, but I think, again, I think it comes back to that social capital. Yeah, I think there's something within the 
you know, white youth about being in New York and being proximate to these things that are cool and hip that come from black culture, yes. but not having to actually see or interact with yeah. black people. So Ooh. they want that. Yeah. They want that. They want to see the Biggie mural. They want to, yes, they you know, see it. the bullet hole in the wall. They don't they want to home, take me They home. want a fucking <laughs> Harlem shake in front of Marcy Projects. <laughs> like what just happened it. recently. Mm-hmm. But they don't want to actually interact with black people. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's a Millie Rock. Excuse me. She wasn't. Oh, was it wasn't it? the Harlem Shake. I don't know. It wasn't the Millie Rock either. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody told me it was a Harlem Shake. Who, I was kidding when she I was, was saying she's doing Air nonsense. Air oh, okay. Whatever it was. I think it was better. a Millie. Whatever. Maybe she's it was the Harlem Shake. Air but why you doing the Harlem Shake? But it used to be Jay cough up a lung, <laughs> Marcy, son, ain't nothing nice. Like, that's what it used to be. I used to work at a school that was in the middle of the Marcy Projects and the Tompkins Projects, mm. a high school. And the principal, of course, was white. Most of the teachers were white. Most of the students were in um, child protective services. I had to meet with their um, mm. foster care um, like advisor on a mm. regular basis. Lots of violence within the school and outside of the school. It's so much work inside of the school. And the, the education system was just trash, mm. right? They just literally were like, whatever. We don't care about the school at all. Mm-hmm. These students are stupid. We don't care. Mm-hmm. You're just here to kind of thing. So seeing that white girl go there to do that mm-hmm. was so, like, beyond infuriating. Mm. Where it's like, people are like, oh, yeah, she, like black people. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, she just respected our cult. No, she doesn't. Like Wait, just they because said she respect- she's respecting our culture mm-hmm. because she's dancing in what in the? a Millie Rock and People she's respecting Jay Z and all. Oh so because you go there and you dance, that means you respect the culture. But she went like, tapped in with nobody. Anything you don't even know what it's like to live in and the it's Marcy a project. It's a mockery. It's a mockery. It's, a mockery. it's bullshit. It's it's so it's. Ugh. There's also something to say about the inner workings of class within white people too, because I yeah. think about gentrification watching gentrification along the L train line throughout high school. And it used to be that the beginnings of it were like less wealthy, like kind of white folks who would have like their dogs and there'd be like groups of them yeah. and artists. And that's what Williamsburg used to be like. Yeah. yeah. And then I remember, I remember I used to stand in front of certain kinds of white people yeah. knowing that they were going to get off at that stop and yeah. I would be able to get a seat. They're all yes. going to get off at Bedford Avenue and I'll know. be able to you sit know, my it's ass a mass down. Exodus. <laughs> it's a mass exodus. But then it became Bedford. later and later, later as the less wealthy white people yep. started to move yep. further to yep. displace yep. where we were. And then wealthier white people started to come in. So now Williamsburg is like Soho. Yeah. Williamsburg is not touchable to yeah. even middle class yeah. white people now. Yeah. So there's, I think, inner workings in their class stuff that I don't really understand. Yeah. But I think that there's something I don't happening even think it's there. Inner I was just about to say yeah, that. I, I think don't know. that they literally just distance themselves from those white people. Mm-hmm. I am a white person that's going to live in Bushwick. Okay. You live in Williamsburg? That's gross. Oh, so you it's live like in Soho? They're like totally because mm-hmm. so, I don't I mean yes there are middle class white people there are poor white people but yes. they don't I don't know that they live in New York well no. my mom does <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah but I'm saying like or moving to New York like yes. gentr- your mom yes. is from yes. New York talk, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm talking about gentrifying New yes. York you're yeah. not I mean sure broke music like what is even a broke musician mm-hmm. like a broke theater mm-hmm. person sure but 
where you you You're could right. move here. Yeah, like there are people when you. But you can't talk about class separate from race. So somehow a poor white person, you still got to have apartment. But that's How? but the thing is, a poor mm-hmm. white person, even in Oakland, uh, we have you know a part of housing and urban development. They have all these different in every city, all these different programs. Ours is called Oakland Housing Authority, and then from there you have Section Eight and all that shit. Like a white person navigating Section Eight. Is going to be a lot different than a black oh, yes. person navigating Section But how many white having, people are in Section 8? There's white people in Section 8. There definitely are white people there are in Section white people 8. That are just ebony. I can't, I I'm can't. talking about you moving from San... From, not San Diego. You're moving from uh, Bumblefuck, Texas to Oakland and you're living in Section 8. Tell me where. Mm, I'm telling you're maybe, moving from maybe. Cataract Kansas, and you're moving to Brooklyn, <laughs> and you move into the Marcy Projects. Tell me where this no, happens. No, no, True. no, no. And it's no, also yeah, like yeah. you have to have a certain yeah. type of They're knowledge. Not moving like, in there. You have to it's have a certain a type lot. of knowledge. When yep. you apply for public service, social services, it is like a maze. They make it very mm-hmm. obtuse. They make it very difficult to figure it out. Like it is just a fucking maze. I hate it. I hate it going to eviction court. I hate going to social services. I hate it going to apply for EBT. Not because of no shame. It's just I'm literally in mm. there all night, all day. I got to sign this. I got to do that. It's like, so a white person comes from Cataract or Bumblefuck, they not even going to know where to go mm-hmm, or right. where to begin mm-hmm. to even get the Section mm-hmm. 8 and be on the waiting list till perpetuity. Right, but I know black like, people who have moved here from Cataract, Kansas and have to live in Section 8 housing. Well, that's, but that's <laughs> it. Well, then we get into some black culture things about the survival mechanisms and us having necessarily to know how to do or this you shit. Can't well, go but also just else. also just you know yeah. racism. Yeah, that's yeah. like I think about you know my mom and gro- growing up here like not having money, but we were never in NYCHA. Yeah. Right, we were never in NYCHA. Yeah. yeah. NYCHA is predominantly black. Yes. What does NYCHA stand for again? That's your New, New York City Housing um, Authority. Yeah. I want to know the numbers. And there's a reason for that. I want to yeah. know the percentages of white people who are in public housing. I want to know because when living in the burbs, they lived in the trailer parks. Mm-hmm. A trailer park is much bigger than mm-hmm. a small apartment mm-hmm. in Baltimore City. Mm-hmm. So even that, mm-hmm. <laughs> you still you're poor, mm-hmm. but there's levels inside of and poverty. That's very deliberate. If yes. you think about yeah. housing projects and surveillance, housing projects have yeah. their own police. Yeah. Totally. So and there's a reason you're why you're in a trailer park with woods and grass. Mm. Yeah. You're not in the inner city where it's literally all cement. Yeah. Mm. There's hella levels. Poverty <laughs> looks different. It's, it looks a, hell, different. it's a level it conversation. Different. It's a level conversation. We had a minute or uh, hour and 30. Yeah, we got to cut it. Well, <laughs> I, want, I wanted to ask you, too, a question. Um, white people like solution. This is not centered around white people, but I'm just thinking about how white people always say, okay, what can we do? No device of being Yeah, so what are your <laughs> thoughts as people in who grew up in uh, metropolitan areas and have seen this happen to your mm. communities. What would you say could actually end gentrification, redlining? What could end this? Big question. I know. <laughs> you looked at me. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the last time I think I, I mentioned to Ebony earlier, um, somebody at the end of a presentation I was giving about kind of touching on gentrification and its impacts on hip hop and cultural reduction tried to say, like, can we end this on a hopeful note? Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm not invested in hope. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that 
gentrification is not going to end until white supremacy ends. Okay. And so I think any move towards ending gentrification is a move towards ending the broader project of white supremacy and racial capitalism. One way that I've been thinking about that, reading about it that I think is helpful is this concept of um, liberated zones. Mm. So thinking kind of outside the boundaries of um, white supremacist borders to connect with other places in the country as well as internationally, if we look at places like Cape Town, Johannesburg, Mm -hmm. you know, that are experiencing similar things to think about a black international revolutionary project. Hmm. against white supremacy but i think that, i think that i i don't know if there's like a solution to ending gentrification so that's not that's not tied to right. a broader yeah. right. abolition right. revolution framework right. which which is another project yeah, which is another podcast right. mm-hmm. um so yeah i, I don't but I, but there is work just to, to shout out some people equality for flatbush cool regularly yes. is out on the streets dope. resisting gentrification I remember Flatbush Tennis Coalition. Shout out! Yes, yes. Yeah. Like there are people doing the work. Yeah. I remember around the time of um, kind of the height of of the viral police videos. It's funny now. We're like, there's this desensitization yeah, still like, happening, yeah, but right. it's not the same. Right. You know, people were going and disrupting brunches in gentrified yeah, I mean, areas. I remember they that. They get that in Oakland too. I remember they're that they're doing yeah. that. Uh-huh. Yeah. So there are these ways that you know people are disrupting. I think taking up space. I would love to see people you know cover up some of this graffiti to take back space yeah. reclaim space literally yeah literally yeah just, or end the graffiti tours mm-hmm. and oh my oh god the graffiti oh. tours are disgusting yeah and the graffiti tours yeah disrupt you know police mm-hmm. yeah but that to me is related to a broader project yeah. to me gentrification is a symptom and a uh, yeah yeah totally clear yeah you agree, Pop? I agree. Yes. I would also say I think economic justice for black people yeah. um, has to happen. There has to be reparations. Reparation to me is always the answer. Yeah. It's not the answer to everything. It certainly won't end racism. It certainly won't end the, the, the project of colonialism and colonization, the continued project of it. But it will help. It will be one starting initial um, compensatory measure that the state can take in order to remedy a fraction, a very small portion of the negative um, and fatal and harmful effects of gentrification. Like, there should be, like, my mom is 59, should be 60 next year. My mother should not work. You know, my mm-hmm. mother works a hard ass graveyard shift job. It's no way that she should work. Um, and until either me or my siblings are able to relieve her of that by in the form of taking care of her and my aunt financially, then she is likely going to have to continue to work. Retirement in California, it's it's cool, but it's not enough to live on. You can't subsist Mm. off of it. So when you're faced with that and you can't get another job because who's going to hire you and you've worked in the food service industry your whole life, Mm -hmm. who's going to hire you? Like, you... This is not just a case for my mother. It's a case for a lot of black elders mm. in our communities all over the country, not yes. just in urban centers, but increasingly in rural areas. Mm-hmm. Black older people not having a lot of money, having their homes foreclosed on, and their descendants not having the ability to take care of them financially. Mm-hmm. Um, it's criminal. Um, even young people not having access to economic opportunities in a place like New York or in Oakland, mm. the place that they were born, 
um, or in Baltimore or in Chicago, a place that they probably would like to stay, but being told and having messaging, you know, inside of your nonprofit after school program that you need to go to college elsewhere and mm. move away um, and get away as far as possible so that, you know, their white teacher can have kids and their kids could probably live in a place where they would live. I mean, it's, it's, um, that has to happen. I think nonprofits, somebody tweeted something. I forgot. I'll find who it was and credit them. But you, somebody mentioned like them feeling like they were being groomed as a participant or a recipient of nonprofit services, being groomed to work at the nonprofits. And I relate to that super heavily. And Mm -hmm. I come from a, Oakland is extremely gentrified. It's almost complete and done with. Um, and so the project, in my opinion, so it's probably about the worst as it could ever be. Um, and it's never been great in the first place, even without gentrification. We've always had super corrupt municipal politics. We've always had super corrupt mayors. We have a white cis woman mayor now who is horrible, uh, Mayor Libby Schaff, mm. but who benefits from this fake mythology and lore around um, the Bay Area as being progressive and all of that. So we got to get rid of some of the, the, the de Blasio lore about mm. him being, you know, oh, mm-hmm. his wife is black and all this shit. Like, they oh, have to, bisexual have to, too. Mm-hmm. Oh great! People like, love to talk about that. Mm-hmm. We have who Bill Blasio? No, his wife is. Bisexual. Yeah, but we have to end the lore around whiteness and around white people in urban areas who are executive directors and nonprofits. We have to end all the mythology mm-hmm. and really get to the heart of that gentrification is unconstitutional, but it is still happening. There is a plethora of literature. If you like reading white people, you think white people are authority on it. There's white people who've done literature on it. There's white people. In urban study and urban planning who talk about it all the time they haven't done shit about it but go. they are talking about it not yes. to much fanfare it's what's not the book you some, recommend uh the color of law i recommend it but once again where a lot of these sort of white um books that are on the right track and call out neoliberalism and call out the unconstitutionality uh and the and the the deliberate racist um state of this government like where they mess up is they always say, they would say democracy. You mm-hmm. have to have democracy. You have to have Alexandria Ocasio. You have to have mm-hmm. elected officials that look like people being displaced in order to stop it. And that is just not going to happen, mm-hmm. as we can see. That's yeah. not a sufficient means to an end. So, you know, you got to have reparations first and foremost for black people. It has to happen. Got it. Yeah. I'm ready. <laughs> and white people got to move to West Virginia. Move to West Virginia. No, no shade, because I don't know the people in West Virginia. They probably don't want them there. So well, that's, that's too bad. Thing. That's their job. I think even that question of ending. That's that's what that's do white people job. have to say what about white people, gentrification. What do white people have to? They don't voting they, for oh, Hillary. Also, don't come. That's another. I forgot about that. You have to stop coming to the place. There yeah. we go. You have to stop when in Ohio you don't like it. It ain't cute. Ain't no bars. It ain't. You can't go to the coffee shop. Make one because everything. Call, you know, oak close at four thirty. Like you have to stay. Mm-hmm. You cannot continue to come to Bushwick. Like it's mm-hmm. people. I'm sitting by one. Like right across from like it's people that is from there. They like it there. They would like to stay there. Mm-hmm. You well, know what I mean? Did. Or to make we did. And even if they don't like it, they 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 have the uh, autonomy. Uh, people should have the autonomy and ability to 
move about socially in a way that is equitable and what gentrification does is it limits people's social mobility. You can't just move and do and go where you want to go when you're a black person. Mm-hmm. I can't just move to Ohio or move. Nope. I can't just do that. No, nope. I can't even just move to Oakland. No, I can't without, even without lots of planning and considering these people are moving from Oakland yeah. to Brooklyn to, to Detroit to wherever it's popping. It just yeah. easily. This is easy like just access, just a easily accessing these spaces yeah. through mobility. You could just move. Yeah. And I think this is a good place to end because we have to end. Yeah, my yeah, Gemini. Yeah. Um <laughs> gentrification is a perfect example of just white people benefiting from white supremacy and not giving a fuck. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like you just move from Bumblefuck to this metropolitan area. You literally know that black people have existed in this space at large numbers yeah. because you know you would have to be literally uh, uh, living under a rock to not know yeah. that we live here and that we've been here forever. Yeah. You'd have to ignore the Baptist church on the corner yeah. to not know that there was black, that literally black people still com- go yeah. there or even the Catholic church on the other corner, black people go there, yeah. right? Or the, the, the soul food restaurant. How do you think that got there? That's not random. Yeah. None of that stuff. Your neighbor who's black, who's lived there for 40 years. That's not random, yeah. but you just go and you're like, but I'm gentrifying. And probably making money off of talking about equity and inclusion totally. mm-hmm. and working at in a nonprofit. nonprofit. And that's what yep. they say. I'm, yep. I'm sorry. I know I'm a gentrifier. It's the perfect example of how white people do not give two shits. I say white people need to give up power. Mm-hmm. They say, how, how, how? What do you mean? Oh, that's not gonna do work. I have to lose my job? Does yeah. that mean I have to give mm-hmm. up my job? Maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe it means I can't that you live don't where I want to live. Right. Yeah. Maybe it means that you don't move to that place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe it means that you find out who owned that house, right? That and house. That, or that right or that apartment and you give it back to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe you do that. Maybe yeah. you give up power, but it's a perfect example of just literally willful ignorance. Yeah. And I also think my last thing is that there's a lot? I, I was an exhibit I went to in Philly called A Dream Defer, and it oh, talks it about excellent. redlining yes, you in Philadelphia. Yes. Also, I think it's really important for people of color, non black PLC, to think about the ways in which they've been impacted by gentrification. Yes. Because Chinatown, like the state, literally tries its damnness to shut Chinatown down in hella different cities, and Philadelphia is one of the most egregious examples of a city government starting using redlining, Mm -hmm. using predatory practices in order to keep Chinese American people and Chinese immigrants from thriving in Chinatowns or from living in Philadelphia, period. So it's a lot of history there. Mm -hmm. Even in Oakland, like Asian American people could not buy Asian immigrants. Nobody, they couldn't buy any property or couldn't buy homes in Oakland for the longest time around the same time that black people couldn't. Like, yes. so it is really important to start to do this work. Don't say, oh, y'all ain't talk about this and y'all ain't mm-hmm. talk about that. No, go nigga, talk go about it. talk about it. <laughs> go pick up a book, go to the library, <laughs> look up, go on Google, look up Diane Wong. She's an excellent Shout um, out. scholar Shout and out. activist who talks about um, gentrification in New York specifically mm-hmm. and talks about Chinatowns and the ways in which the state has really 
you know, put out attacks and assaults on Chinatowns mm-hmm. all across the United States and talks about anti-blackness as being a, a part of that, yes. as being the driving force of that mm-hmm. and not something that's separate. So for all of y'all mm-hmm. like, well, where do I see myself in this narrative? Mm-hmm. You'll put yourself. find yourself in there. White and put your money. Yeah. Put your and money put your- towards organizations like Black Youth Project 100 yes. yeah. that are yes. trying to disrupt the broader project of white supremacy. Small things too, like the Swipe It Forward project. Yes. which we'll be doing tomorrow or at like 6 a.m. Yeah, just swipe it forward. Swipe is um, trying to address fare evasion in New York City. I think it's something like 92% of people arrested for jumping the turnstile or not paying the fare are black and brown people yeah. just trying mm-hmm. to move around mm-hmm. the city yeah. through, through the yes. subway, yes. which is Mobility. our main yeah. mode of transportation. So yeah. Swipe It Forward just says it's not illegal to offer somebody a swipe. You see somebody standing there, just swipe them in. Yeah. 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 Where can we find you in your work so we can support it? What's your Venmo? Please put it. Um, (laughs) You can find me on Twitter at CYNTH underscore Malone. Um, Instagram, Eco Feminista. Uh, Venmo, Cynthia Dash Malone, struggling out here. Yes. So support. Your you just said major poor. labor. Major <laughs> labor. Pay black films. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you so much. much. This was so amazing. This was really beautiful. This was so rich. I know Ebony was resistant to having this conversation, but you love this conversation. Ooh, we covered some ground. We, we did. did. Also, Cynthia uh, 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 might be dropping a podcast. Oh, I thought you were about to say that. <laughs> I thought you were going to say mixtape. Or a yes. mixtape, either one, but Cynthia and maybe drop a special podcast dedicated to these issues so this is not the end of these this conversations not, no, and we're not, not the only ones having them G let's roll yeah as soon as it comes out it'll be on my insta it'll be promoted thank you okay. Okay. people need to hear what you have to say yeah they really do climate change appreciate y'all climate appreciate science you. Ooh, all of that shit. We didn't Turn even up. really talk. Ooh, we could touch it. Oh. Yeah, we talked about another, another podcast. Another podcast. But if y'all care about climate change, you better care about the displacement of black people. Yes. Ooh. Good night. <laughs>